welcome to episode two of the RF Generation Community Playthrough. I'm your host, Rich, and joining me, as always, are Floyd. Hey, guys. Really happy to be here. Jamie. Hey, good to be here. And Sean. What's up, everybody? So, as you probably noticed in episode one, um, we were pretty much set up only on YouTube at the beginning, and then we picked up Podomatic. Um, so, we've actually opened up a few other avenues where you can find our show, so... Can you guys tell them a little bit more about where they can find us as well? Uh, you can find us on Facebook. All right. And iTunes. iTunes. And one more spot. RFGeneration.com. Absolutely. The best Absolutely. place to find us. <laughs> Absolutely. You can speak with us at any point at RF Generation. And, you know, please join us on the forums there. We love to talk to you and discuss these games, especially during the month. So... This time we're just going to start off and uh, just talk a little bit about ourselves and kind of what we're into as far as video gaming. And I'm going to start off with Floyd. Hey everyone. Uh, so on the forums I go by the handle of Fleech. Uh, I'm a longtime gamer, newtime collector. Um, cut my teeth on the N64 and Super Nintendo. Uh, graduated on to uh, the PS1. Uh, my collecting focus is on RPGs and anything sort of action-adventure. All right, and Jamie? Hey, I'm Jamie, I'm going by Tech Wizard on the forums. Um, 24 years old, I've been collecting since around 2008, more or less. Um, grew up uh, gaming pretty early on uh, the NES, and then moved on to like N64, GameCube, and uh, I'll be one of the uh, few who are uh, PC gamers here. Um, and my main collecting uh, focus now is the N64, which I'm going for a full CIB set in. And uh, yeah, I think that's, that's me. All right, and Sean. Hey guys, this is Sean. Go by GreyGhost81 on the forums. Um, I've been playing video games since I was... Uh, about five years old. I'm 32 years old now, so it's been a long time. I've been collecting on and off uh, pretty much for that whole time, but I started collecting seriously uh, about three years ago with the collection I have now. At first, it was just collecting anything and everything that I found uh, out in the wild, but now I'm starting to trim it down and collect only the best and uh, finest pieces and uh, my favorite platform is the PlayStation 2 and I'm always looking for obscure noteworthy cool PlayStation 2 games hint hint so <laughs> <laughs> anyone wants to send something his way <laughs> yeah I do accept donations <laughs> especially yeah. RPG donations I've seen his right. list yeah the podcast is run off of uh, Sean's PS2 collection <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Well, of course, I'm Rich. I'm, I'm the host of the show, and uh, you can find me on the forums as Single Banana. A lot of you probably know me on there. I uh, probably started collecting about five years ago. Um, my primary focus, of course, is the NES and my Atari 2600 collection, and I also collect pretty heavily for the Vectrix. I only need a few more games for that. Um, for my NES collection, I'm down to actually five games now for that, for a complete license set. Um, I've got a little something in the works with uh, old Crab Master, and should be getting a few more soon. So, yeah, um, love to talk about Nintendo and Atari stuff. Um, 
definitely the old guy in the group. I'm 37, and uh, I believe, Sean, you said you're 32. And let's see, uh, Jamie and Floyd, I believe you guys are 23, right? 24. 24 for me. 24, okay, okay. Yeah. We're the youngins of the group. So. <laughs> the youngins, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so just try to keep up with us. <laughs> right, and that's and that's what's going to kind of make this show special. It seems that we all have different interests as far as retro and modern and and different you know variation in age which is just going to make you know the discussions you know all the more rich and so definitely looking forward to this podcast and the future of it so but anyway um just want to thank everyone for joining us in this podcast we hope you enjoy this wrap-up for the april playthrough um we did a magical star sign and also the atari 2600 activision challenge which was uh, a very interesting month um, and actually, for the Atari Challenge, we're going to have a special guest join us. I'll leave that secret until then. But anyway, um, let's get started, guys. So for the April Retro Playthrough, we did the Atari Activision Challenge, which we played several familiar and maybe some unfamiliar games to most of you. We played in week one we did Pitfall and Kaboom. In week two we played Spider Fighter and Sequest. Week three was Stampede and Keystone Capers. Week four was Enduro and Sky Jinx. And we had a special game, uh, kind of a little playoff at the end, with um, one of our members, uh, myself, Single Banana, and one of our members, BSR241, which his name is actually Terry, and he's going to be joining us today to talk about these games. And also um, is one of my other co-hosts, Floyd. He'll be joining us as well. So thanks for coming on, guys. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you. Yeah, as, as, um, as an Atari uh, virgin, this will be really exciting. <laughs> so you didn't actually play any this month, did you, Floyd? No, but I, I tracked you guys in the thread, and... You know, it really made me wish I had an Atari console and really wished I had these games because it, it looked like it was a lot of fun. Well, I'll tell you what, I picked one up this weekend, so maybe this one's got your name on it. We'll discuss that after the Lots. call. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so anyway, um, we, we played it this month with a similar format to what we did with the Streets of Rage Challenge uh, in 2013, December. And um, I want to say I had, a, I had a really great time playing... Um, the playthrough this way, and I hope that everyone who joined us um, really enjoyed the format that I used. I tried to make it as fair as possible in accumulating and uh, dispersing the points. Um, but just to just to kind of start out, I wanted to just give a quick shout out to the people who actually played this month, um, and those included myself, uh, of course Terry BSR two forty one, Bomba Tamba Dougley 007, Wimpster and Jerry Greenwood. And without further ado, let's go ahead and start talking about the games. And Terry, what I'd like to do is you and I sort of talk about the games. Floyd, if you have any questions, please jump in. And what we'll do is we'll just discuss them a little bit and then maybe talk a little bit about our strategies for those games. Okay? All right. So okay. the first game we played uh, was Pitfall. Uh, that's a very uh, classic 2600 game. It came out, I think I read that it was like the number two or number three best-selling game of all time for the Atari 2600. And uh, Terry, do you remember when this game came out? Um, No, not offhand. 
not offhand. I remember when it came out pretty much, and it was a very popular title. It was one of those that you didn't see a whole lot of video gaming commercials back then, but this game, there was a lot of hype surrounding um, Atari Pitfall from Activision. Um, and this game sort of, you start out, you play as Pitfall Harry, who's the, your hero, and the goal of the game is to jump around and basically collect what is this, diamond rings, gold bars, silver bars, and money bags. Those are your four items that you're collecting, and that's how you score points. And there is actually this game, and of course, playing this as a kid, I didn't really know it, but this game actually has a kill screen. Um, if you accumulate, I believe it's 114,000 points, um, you make it to what's called like a kill screen where everything just goes blank. And you have 20 minutes to collect all the items in the game. And um, you can lose points. Uh, you have three lives, and you can lose lives, or you can lose points when you run into logs or you know fall into a pit, right? So, um, so uh, Terry, was was this one that you played a lot, um, or um, you know, kind of kind of growing up, was this one that you played a lot? I don't remember playing this one a lot. I, I remember playing it some, but I never got to the end of it, as far as I remember. Right, right. I I actually tried to get to the end of it in this playthrough, and it's it's actually became one of those things where I got a little obsessed with playing this game. I probably played this one more than any of the others. Um, because one, it was at the beginning of the challenge, and then two, um, you know, it was just, you know, knowing that it had a kill screen, it made me, it was like, oh man, I gotta do that, and, and so now, that is one of my goals, to at least get that kill screen, and then after that, maybe shoot for that perfect score, you know, without running in any logs, or falling down any pits. Um, did you, what, what type of strategy did you use for this game, Terry? Um, I used like the first big underground passage and then I stayed mm -hmm. away from them because I was okay. terrible at jumping the scorpions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the scorpions are, they're, they're a little more, um, I guess oblong and, and they run really slow. So it's a, it's a different feel than like jumping the logs, you know, cause you can just kind of stand still and jump the logs. They'll kind of roll right under you. Um, did you go, did you go to the right of the screen or did you do the backwards method for that? Oh, I went backwards. <laughs> You went backwards, yeah. I I didn't think about doing the backwards method. Um, I the first few scores I put up, I did the forward method because I, I guess I, I guess when you're you're kind of you're a kid, you don't really think about going backwards. You just you're kind of naturally uh, when you play a video game, you naturally want to go to the right. You know, it's like reading. <laughs> you know, well, you that, read that, a book. That seems like the the you know the common sense, a logical approach, right? Just right. Right. Try to try to move along. Yeah, and I think it was Shadow who um, Shadow Kusaragi who said something about which way are you going? Why are you not going? He he saw my end screen. He's like, why are you not going to the left? And I was like, well, I've never really thought about going to the left. And so I, I started that, and it's it's actually a little bit better because when you have logs and things like that, you don't have to jump over the logs. You run at the same speed as the logs do. So what you can do is you can just run through the entire screen and it actually saves you a lot of time going to the left so I tried that and that's how I put up my um, I think I put up my biggest score going that way so basically that would be instead of moving to the obstacles you're letting the obstacles come to you well 
Well, instead of let probably the opposite, okay. Floyd. Um, okay. Instead of the obstacles coming to you, like the logs rolling at you, because everything rolls from right to left. Right. And so if you go backwards and you keep up your normal run, you keep the kind of keep the hammer down, so to speak, you know, keep your controller <laughs> okay. joystick down. Um, you could just keep moving along and, and the logs would not catch up with you. You know, it'd be like kind of running right at your heels. And if you stopped, you would probably get hit. Um, but, you know, with other obstacles such as pits and the, the lakes and things like that, sometimes you would have to kind of stop and then jump and let the logs go by you, you know. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, were there any, were there any other special techniques that you used, Terry, or um, you know during during this game? Um, for the crocodiles, learn to time the jump so you can jump, jump, stop, and then jump off the third one with his mouth closed. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I sometimes I got it down where I could um, go all the way. It it was a little hard going backwards because on that third crocodile you really have to like hit that snout. Did you? Did you do any jumping while the crocodile's mouths were open? Yeah, if you, like from eye to eye? I tried not to because it's, yeah, the landing pad is just way too small. Yeah, yeah, it's that's a that's a tough jump and it's it's one of those games where it's not like you, you can't really control your jump like move back and forth, you know, it, it you just kind of have a, a jump and it's going to go you know, it's just going to go a certain amount. So that last crocodile, especially if you're going backwards, you got to kind of jump off the tip of the snout to make it you know to the other side um floyd since you've never really played this game but you've probably watched it with the crocodiles they open their mouth so you can jump and you can rest on their eyes but you can't but if you're too close to their mouth and you open their mouth up it'll kind of suck you down so (laughs) but but yeah it's a little bit of um you know like rhythm incorporated into it like you need to have the right pace of flow right Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's really a timing game, and to you know from from what I've seen and and since the playthrough's been over, I've, I've actually watched one of the kill screen videos, and it, it's it's really amazing. Like watching someone someone do that, you really have to you know you have to really be fast because there are I think I think two hundred and fifty something screens on this game, so you have to you have to be really fast because you have a twenty minute time limit. So basically, you have twenty minutes or three lives, you know, whichever comes first. Um, so, you know, it, it's 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 pretty tough. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, I, I think we've kind of covered Pitfall pretty well. Um, I think I ended up winning the Pitfall challenge that month uh, for the month, and uh, pretty pleased with my score. But you know, once again, I'd I'd still like to improve that, maybe try to get to that kill screen and maybe after that shoot for that perfect score at some point. So I'm going to have to get back and play and learn some of those patterns. So the um, the other game we played in week one, week one was sort of the classics week where we played two of the more popular games. Um, we played Pitfall, of course, and then we played Kaboom was the other game we played, which utilizes the paddle controllers. How did, how did you end up in that game, Terry? I'm, I'm trying to recall. Oh, pretty terrible. i I believe and and don't quote me on this i'm not looking at the page right now i need to pull that up at some point but um i believe i might have been the only one to get the badge on that one i think that was what i think three thousand points yeah yeah three thousand yeah three thousand that's it's it's a tough game and um what's funny is i was 
uh, I happened to be on Atari age, and I saw where a guy was um, had just gotten 999,999 points on that game. Like, had hit the the maximum points on it. Yeah. I'm like, wow. I, I don't know how anybody could could do that, A, and then keep their sanity in trying to do that. <laughs> no, not one bit. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about a game where we had a lot of, you know, we had six people, you know, participating, and uh, and not one of us could, well, one of us could, you know, one us barely eked out a badge, you know, and, and that was it. So that, that was a tough game. Um, Kaboom is a, a game where you've got a, a, a robber who's dropping these bombs um, down and you have it's they're called bomb buckets is what they're called they're these three uh, little platforms like little breakout paddles and you're you're moving those back and forth and each time a bomb gets by you and these bombs get progressively faster uh, you lose one of those paddles and the game gets harder and harder uh, every thousand points you get an extra paddle so you know, if, if you do lose one, you can always build on that, which is kind of a nice feature to have. But still, at the rate those things start falling, it gets so chaotic and uh, it, it gets pretty tough. Where there's, were there any Terry? Were there any type of um, any type of strategies that you tried to implement for Kaboom? No, none whatsoever. I couldn't. It was hard enough keeping up with them after a while. The only thing I did was <laughs> take my controllers apart and cleaned them up so they'd slide a little better. <laughs> oh really? Can you can you talk to us a little bit about how you how you did that? Um, well, it's got what four screws in the back. Take them all uh-huh. apart. You've got just a regular pot in there, right? And I grabbed some contact cleaner and sprayed them out and put them all back together, and it helps some. But yeah, yeah, I've heard of a lot of people doing that. That's that's not something that I've attempted. I, I think I I just go by the route of I come across these things all the time. These paddles for like a buck. And so I'll just pick them up when I can find them, and some work better than others, and um, probably could just take them apart, you know, a few of them, and just use a good cleaning. And I think you can you can replace what I'm trying to think of the name of the part that's in the inside. Um, it's just a potentiometer. Potentiometer, that's right. And uh, I think you know you can buy those parts somewhere and just replace those. But you said just a good contact cleaning usually works. Is that right? It makes a big difference. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll have to check that out. Um, yeah, for Kaboom, I, I guess my thing was, um, my, my strategy was to, you know, at least make it to a thousand points with at least two. If I, if I, if I, if I got down to, to one, I would just, my, my hand was so close to the reset button. And, and that, that, for me, that was kind of what I did was just, you know, in order to get the score I got, it was just repetitive playing. I mean, there, there's no other way to say it. I, I, I'm horrible at that game, but it, it was just one of those things where I would just, if I felt like I was in a bad groove, I would just hit the reset button, and it was just, you know, just try, me trying to eke out as many plays as I could on that game. <laughs> so so I guess that's, that's it for Kaboom. Uh, Floyd, did you have any questions about Kaboom, or have you, have you seen the gameplay for that game? No, no, I haven't, but um, no, the way you guys described it was, uh, was pretty good. It gives me a good mental picture. Yeah, yeah, it's just um, you know, just a game of chaos and you know, they just kind of keep dropping the bombs and everything just gets faster and faster and uh, you know, just typical Atari game. I think yeah. at one point 
I think at one point the speed levels out so that it doesn't get any faster, but um, I think some people say that there's a pattern to the bombs. I, I didn't see that. I didn't see any type of pattern, but um, you know, I'm, I'm sure the, the guys that are just the really the best players probably have figured that out in some sense. Yeah, those, those games where the, where the speed of the game ramps up are things that I'm really terrible at, so <laughs> I probably would have become really frustrated with that game and, and rage quit. <laughs> yeah. So, so we moved on um, to week two. I was, I was, you know, after week one, I was feeling pretty good about my play. I was feeling, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good here. And then week two, old, old Terry came along in week two, and uh, we played uh, played some Spider Fighter. Terry, you want to talk about that game for a little bit? Maybe describe what, what goes on in Spider Fighter? Um, it's basically a heads-up shmup, and they come out of the, what's the left side of the screen and spread out from there. Uh-huh. And just a lot of quick back and forth shooting and dodging. Yeah, yeah, and and I think I've mentioned this before on the um, either on the forums is that Spider Fighter for me is my favorite shooter um, on the twenty six hundred. I, I know that the twenty six hundred has quite a few shooter games, but for me, there's something about Spider Fighter and just it's a very frantic, quick, fast paced game. Um, and, um, you know, like Terry was saying, it starts, I guess kind of the theme is that is you're a, um, you're the owner or a farmer at an orchard and the spiders are attacking your crops and, and they've incorporated this. It's, it's a really neat idea into a shooter. So you're basically firing what equates to like pesticide at these spiders. And there's this, there's this sort of nest that floats around and spiders kind of spring from it. And the nest can actually grab your fruit from your trees and take it uh, to the other side. And if they capture your fruit, um, you don't get as much bonus, and um, it also um, affects your score in the game. But uh, with with Spider Fighter, um, there's there's two options that you can use when you're firing. One of those can be um, like straight firing. You can set it to fire straight under the uh, options. Or what you can do is you can also have a, a fire where the um, the shots kind of um, move. You can kind of use guided shots. Um, Terry, which of those did you use? I preferred the straight shots. Yeah, and um, I think I, I think I use the uh, the guided shots. I, I don't know why. I guess it's kind of how I was used to playing the game. But yeah, the straight shots um, uh, are you know. Just, just a great way to play it too. And what was your strategy for this game? I know you, you put up. Um, I want to say what over two hundred thousand on this game. I think is that right? I think it's somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, you just you blew it out of the water. That was one of the games on the the Royal Rumble week. I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to try. I'm not. I'm not even going to try to attack that game. If I'm going to make up some points here, because going into like week four, you had jumped ahead of me, and I was like, I'm not even going to try to make it up on Spider Fighter. Forget that. You know that 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 was hopeless. So can you can you tell me a little bit about the strategy you used there? Um, I basically hung off the left side about an inch off the left side and waited for the the nest to come out and just tried to blast the crud out of it for the yeah. to even come out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that that was pretty much the strategy, and I think I'd mentioned that on the forums. I was like, "Well, guys, you know, try, try, try going to the left, start out to the left, and just like like you said, just just multi fire." And it seems as you, it, I mean, to me, and maybe you can speak to this as well. 
as you move on through the game, I felt like my shots got a lot quicker. Was that is that true? Um, Did that hold true for you? I don't know. I, I there was two ways of shooting. You could either hold it down and it would shoot. Mm-hmm. I think four or five in a row. Okay. Or you could individually one at a time, and I preferred the one at a time so I could you know move around and shoot at the same time because right. that holding it down, I felt like I was missing opportunities to hit them. Right. Right. Right, and and some of those spiders get really close to the bottom of the screen. Yes, and you know, almost impossible to get away from. So, so yeah, yeah, I I I, I hear what you're saying, and and yeah, you're right. I mean, you could you did have the option of holding the button down. Did was that something that you did um, when you went to the left side of the screen? Did you kind of hold it down at first to like you know fire off a lot of shots and try to clear out that nest before it moved to the right? I that'd be the first thing I do, but then after it got by, I'd start individual firing right right yeah and um and when you each time you clear a board i think they're what was there like i want to say i'm trying i'm recalling from memory here they're like three nests is that correct and every three nests you move on to the next board is that right it was three i think it was three or four yeah okay okay right and and so you would also accumulate extra men as you move to the next board which was which was always nice i thought you would always get you know, so if you if you lost two or three, you would get one extra after you cleared a board. And then if you had all of your men and you cleared a board, you got like a bonus. And I believe it was around 500 points, something like that, um, that you got for actually clearing that board and having all your ships. Instead of getting the extra ship, you just got an added bonus to your score. Yeah. Which was, which was always nice. But yeah, clearly you are the king of... Spider Fighter, sir. Uh, you know that that's one of my favorite games, and uh, you know still remains my favorite game uh, or favorite shooter on the twenty six hundred. So also in week two we played another really fun shooter, um, and uh, I, I do want to mention before I get into the next game we played, I I was considering River Raid. That's a very popular game. Uh, for the 2600, probably one of the most known Activision titles, probably the best known Activision shooter. Um, and I, I just kind of decided, like, you know, I, I want to do a few games. I, I want to keep the games inexpensive, first of all, but I, I would like to kind of push people to play a few games that maybe they hadn't played before. And so in, in, instead of doing River Raid, I decided to do Sequest, which is uh, a really neat uh, submarine shooter. Um, you have basically three enemies in the game, right? Um, yeah. And uh, you have, uh, let's see, you've got the submarines, enemy submarines at the bottom of the screen. You've got sharks, and then you've got a sort of a, a sub at the top of the screen as well that, that can attack you. And the point of the game is basically you fire off and you collect divers. And once you get enough divers, you can go to the top, and resurface um, and and deliver those divers or basically save those divers that are underwater. If you don't have enough divers, you can go back up to the top anyway, but you actually lose one diver. And sort of the, the caveat of this game is that you have an air meter, which allows you to only to stay underwater for a certain time. And this, is, this isn't bad at first. It's, it's fairly easy to deal with the air situation at first, but it gets... A lot more difficult, uh, right? Did you did you have any certain strategies for this game, Terry? I think my biggest strategy was trying to stay at the top two rows of the screen. Okay. Because okay. as it sped up, the air supply seemed to go faster. 
Right. And you, and you would always try to fill up, if you could, try to get as many divers as you could. But it, it seems like as the game progressed, you were just trying to unload them as much as you could, right? Yeah. And the problem with unloading at the top of the screen is it makes you pause at the top of the screen. And there's a submarine that goes across the top of the screen. And if you're stuck unloading divers and refilling on air and that submarine comes by while you're doing that, you lose a life that way as well. So you have to kind of time your air and then time that submarine that's moving across the top of the screen. Um, for this game, I noticed one of the things that, that I did notice about it is, it is it got more frantic. It got harder to get to collect divers. But if you if you could get a bead on a certain area and just keep firing, um, you would end up getting divers at some point. They would come out and then you could you know, basically take out all those people and then, you know, pick up your divers as quick as you can. Another thing that I noticed is that there are basically three rows of enemies coming out at you and you could put your sub, if you could, if you could move it just right, you could put your sub in between those rows and everything would miss you, like coming back and forth. So if you got in trouble, if something started getting a little too out of hand or quick for you, you could take a little bit of a break and just sit between those rows. Uh, did you did you implement any of those strategies or notice anything like that about the game? I tried to stay between a couple of rows, but the, with the way the sharks waved up and down, sometimes mm-hmm. they would get you, sometimes not. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing that got me the most was if you were trying to catch the divers, and then for some reason the little jerks would turn around and swim away from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, could, I couldn't figure that out either. You know, basically the sharks sometimes will grab the divers by the leg and push them forward, but then when you would shoot the sharks, they would turn around the other way and start swimming the other way. I, I couldn't figure out that pattern either. And sometimes, you know, there was just, there's really nothing you could do about it. You know, you just had to, you had to just kind of play it by ear, collect them when you can, maybe get the shark to grab one and bring it closer to you before you actually shot the sharks. And, you know, I, I found myself using that strategy as well. Yeah. So. You almost had to wait till they were in the middle of the screen to start shooting the sharks so you'd have time to get over there to get them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was a tough game, but I, I thought all in all, uh, week two went really well. Um, there, um, I think you obviously ended up winning Spider Fighter, and I think I eked out like on the last night a a Sequest score that was just a little better than yours, yeah. and was able to uh, you know kind of keep my lead. But you know, after I saw the score Terry put up in Spider Fighter, I was like, oh man, I I, I knew what was coming because I, I, you put up a great score in Sequest too. So. Week three um, was a was a very tough week, I think, for everyone. I, I think I called this week um, the, the thrill of the hunt, which was sort of a you know sort of a theme. We played uh, Stampede and we played Keystone Capers. Uh, both of these games were the the type of games where you would track either track someone or track some things down. Um, we'll start talking about Stampede first. This was the only game during this challenge that no one badged no one was able to earn a badge on stampede and i'm trying to think um, what it was i think it was am i, am I right three thousand or thirty five hundred points something like that i believe was the badge is that right yeah i'm not even sure about that one yeah yeah to me um this was probably the hardest game of the lot um and and i had a lot of i had a, a really tough time with this game 
Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with it? Uh, I actually like this game. I used to play this a lot when I was a kid with my cousins, and we used to play this uh-huh. one just a bunch. So I really like this game. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's right up there as a good one for me. Yeah, I I it's a it's a difficult game, but it, I, I'm with you. I love it. It's it's a lot of fun. It's the strategy is really sort of bewildering at first. You know, I mean, if you don't know what you're doing in this game, then it can be one of the most frustrating games you'll play. Um, basically, there's four different colored cattle. You're, you're, you're basically a cowboy riding the back of a horse, and you're trying to rope cattle. And um, you have four different colored cattle. I think there's a yellow, an orange, a brown, and a black. Um the yellow cattle are the slowest, from what I remember. Um, I want to. Are, are they the fastest? Um, I think the bright yellow ones were the fastest. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. The yellow were the fastest, and then the orange are sort of medium speed, and then your I think your brown are a little slower, and then your black cow is stationary, yeah. which is is the toughest of them all because you can't run into him. You have to you have to lasso him. So. The object of the game is to not let three cows pass you, right? Yeah. And you use the strategy. You don't have to lasso all the cows at one time. If they, if they, when they, st- when you start getting closer to them, if you, if you run into the cattle, it makes them run forward quickly, and so you can keep bouncing them off and then catch them later. And one of the strategies I think some of us were using, and, and Terry, you can vouch for this too, is is instead of trying to lasso the catapults, throwing out your lasso, it, it basically throwing that lasso out takes up your movement. You can't move. And if you throw it out a long way, you have to wait for it to retract before you can even move. And so that can really hurt you as a player. Um, so one of the strategies I think a lot of people started to implement was when you bump the cattle and make them run forward throwing that lasso out real quick for those quick grabs and um and uh, you know scoring a lot of points that way is that was that the case with you is that how you usually play the game yeah i would keep on bumping a group of them up and snag them one at a time and that way you wouldn't have a lot of the black ones coming because you always tried mm-hmm. to keep four lanes with something in them mm-hmm. and i just i just kind of pretty much ignored the black ones because oh really I mean, you almost have to be in that... When it got faster, you almost had to be in that lane to get them. Yeah. And it was, okay. it was almost just easier just to skip them and make sure you get all the rest of them. Right, right. That, that's a good point. And, and I think the way it worked was, I want to say after so many points, and I can't remember what the amount was, maybe around 1,000, you would um, you would get uh, like a cattle forgiveness or something like that, where it would like... Like if you had missed one cattle and you had and you had like two basically like lives left it would give you sort of like an extra life or an extra miss yeah so but you know for some reason for me i didn't even think about ignoring the black cattle you know but that would have been a good strategy even though like i think at the kind of the beginning part of the game you get hit with two pretty quickly yeah but toward the beginning of the game I, i think it's easier to you know, to, to grab those because everything's not quite as frantic yet, you know? Yeah, the first two you knew they were coming. You almost knew where they were going to be. Right. But then once it got busy, they were, you couldn't remember where they were at. You were just <laughs> yeah. bumping everybody else and trying to keep up with them. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, again, you know, Stampede is 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 a wonderful Activision title. If you've got an Activision, uh, or I mean, if you've got an Atari, you're looking for Activision titles. I think Stampede is is one that you should definitely add to your collection. And then we played um, Keystone Capers, which is a game that I didn't play growing up. I didn't I didn't know a whole lot about Keystone Capers going into it. Um, but you want to just kind of give us a little bit of an overview about what that game was? Uh, Keystone Capers. Well, the guy was shoplifting in the store, and you have to play the store detective and chase him down before he gets out the doors. And you have to yeah. dodge everything or jump radios and dodge airplanes. And <laughs> I, I like that. That one was a fun game, too. I, that was fun back in the day. It's still fun now. Yeah. Sounds like it could be really exciting. It is. And, it, again, Floyd, it's one of those games that has a – you know, after you, you know, go through so many levels, it gets faster and faster. Um, one of the things that, you know, the crook kind of starts out, I want to say, on the second floor. Yeah. And you're on the first floor, and there are one, two, three, I think three floors in a roof. Am I, I'm correct on that, right? Yeah. And um, the, the thief can only use the escalator, but he can go up and down on the escalator. Yeah. <laughs> you can only go up on the escalator, but you can also use the elevators, which are located in the center of the, I guess, the shopping mall is what we would call it. Um, so the elevators can be quite useful depending on, I guess, your timing. Um, uh, Terry, how did you use the elevators in this game? Did you use them at all? Or, I used them a know? lot. When he was like coming okay. on the third floor, I would ride the elevator up, and once it opened the door, mm -hmm. he would turn around and go back the other way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then you could, he would get to the end, you could go back down the next floor and come up, and you'd have a little more time to catch him. Okay, okay. Um, so, you're saying you would go straight to the third floor, is that right? Yeah, I would go to the third floor, and he'd okay. already be up there, and uh -huh. once the door opened, apparently he saw you, so he turned around and started going back down to the second floor. And okay. The elevator would close, and you go down the second floor. So by the time he was okay. at the escalator, you'd be coming off the or the elevator on the second floor, so you'd have lots of time to run down and get back up to him on the third floor. Okay, okay. I I think what I what I did in, in my strategy was just to go to the second floor, and then you know just kind of run from there. But I see what you're saying about kind of turning him back around, and then he would go back down the escalator, and then you would go from the third floor back down to the second floor, and then chase him from there yeah. and you'd be a little bit closer because the important part of this game really is to maximize your time the quicker you catch the crook the more bonus you get right oh yeah and uh you do have a certain amount of lives in this in this game and i believe the only thing that can kill you in this game everything else is, is sort of like well i was gonna say it's sort of like pitfall in the sense that you have things that won't kill you but these things that don't kill you, they eat up your time, which is about as bad, if not worse, than actually killing you, right? Yeah, they, they really knock the time down fast. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, my strategy was to go to the second floor, and then by the time I got to the second floor, a lot of times he was already on the escalator. I would just escalate up to the third floor and then, you know, end up catching him. But um, it, it seems like with your strategy, you had a better way of sort of pinning him in and uh, keeping him you know, closer to you than, than what I was doing, which is, which is awesome, which is, which is a great strategy and something that I really didn't think about. So awesome. Awesome. So, so you really do like Keystone Capers. It's one you, you would say this is one of your favorite games for the, from the Activision series. Yeah. 
Yeah. It was just such nice graphics and such original gameplay from then, and it still Mm -hmm. stands up today. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It it does have some of the best graphics on the system. Yeah, it's really, it's a lot more detailed and a lot more than some of the other Atari games that are out there for sure. Okay. So week four was, um, I decided to do sort of a race week. I am not a big fan of racing games, and it, it sort of showed during this week. Uh, week four, we played Enduro, and then we also played Sky Jinx. Um, Enduro, I've always heard by a lot of people, is the, as a lot of people say, is their favorite racing game for the Atari 2600. Um I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Night Driver, um, which was um, you know just a regular um, release by Atari, but Enduro is sort of like its title sounds, right? You know, it's an endurance race. Um, what's neat about Enduro is that you're you're racing through days. You're you're trying to accumulate so many days, and you know I think that's how we track score through days and through mileage on this game, and. As you go through the day, you get different conditions. You get snow. Um, you've got just normal day weather. You've got dusk. You've got dawn. You've got uh, night driving, uh, where the all you can see are the car's tail lights. And then you've got one of the the toughest um, courses of the game, which is fog, which basically you don't see anything but the tail lights and you don't see them until about half of the screen, right? They don't appear till like half the screen, so you have to kind of react quick. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what strategy you used for this, Terry? I mean, did you just did you just go full blast through this game and, and dodge cars, or, or how, how did you work your strategy into this game? Uh, mostly full blast, stay in the middle and go full blast, but then when it hit like the fog, slowed down to about half, so you had right. more time to react to it. Yeah, yeah. I I tried, and again, I wasn't very successful at this game. And and what I tried was to get a. I I didn't go full blast at any point. I, I just I for some reason I just don't have the reaction time for this game. But what I would do is keep it at a constant, like I guess about a three quarters sort of speed, and ju- and just go through the level. Um, once you, basically, the goal of the game is to pass a certain amount of cars, right? I believe it's, I believe that the first board it's two hundred, and then. The second board and every subsequent board is three hundred cars, yeah. but it, it gets a, it gets a lot tougher. So, you know, you know, as far as as far as the cars are concerned, so the quicker you pass the cars, the quicker you make it through the level, and then you just do some, I guess, basically just some free driving, right? You don't get any points or anything, and you don't get any bonus or anything like that for finishing up early, um, and and you just kind of drive around until the next day starts, right? Yeah. And then you can start passing cars again, so. Enduro was a, uh, for me, you know, a very tough game, and it definitely earns its name. It, it is an endurance game, you know, and I've seen some people play this game and just, you know, make it to, you know, day nine or something like that, yes. and it's, <laughs> I, I don't know how they do it, but, uh, you know, it's it, it's it's a fun game. I, I enjoy it. I would say, you know, if you get it for a buck or two, you know, pick it up. I think it's one you would definitely enjoy for the 2600. And then secondly, we played, um, and before we played the game Sky Jinx, which is a, uh, basically a, an airplane racer. And, um, 
you know, it, it's sort of, um, uh, I would compare it to, think of, like, slalom racing in the Olympics, right? Yeah, that'd probably be a good analogy. <laughs> you've got a red tower, and you've got a blue tower, and you've got to kind of weave in and out, and you also have to dodge obstacles like hot air balloons and, um, uh, what were some of the other obstacles? Trees, I guess. I, I think those were the two main obstacles that you had to dodge in this game. Um, and you, you're just basically trying to finish the course um, and uh, get get to the end of the course, and basically whoever has the best time, you know, um, was the winner for that month. Um, did you... There, there's some tight turns, you know, and kind of making your playing bank and kind of swinging it can make your... To make your plan go t- uh, tighter, um, is that kind of was that kind of your strategy, Terry? Just did you just go full blast during this game? Did you were there points where you had to slow down, or I think you know, how did how did you work it? I think I slowed down maybe a couple times for the balloons. Mm-hmm. That way you could still make the curve on the next marker. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I mean, I think a lot of it was just memorization of the course. Right. Once you right. had it down, it was just getting the timing right. Right. And, and there were several courses on this game, of course. You know, with, with with all these games, and I guess I should, you know, kind of tell our listeners, the, the people who didn't play with us this month, we, we we played every game on the first on the first screen, right? It was just, you know, for me, I thought it would just be just be easier for everyone to start on the same screen, you know, and try to finding, you know, different difficulty or, or you know, or different course levels, and you know, I just wanted to, to make it as accessible as I could while we were playing that. Um, but I think Terry, I believe you had the quickest score in that game. Yeah, if if I recall, I can't remember, but uh, but yeah, again, you know, I finished a close second. It seemed that you and I were really going back and forth, you know, with the, um, of course, the the person who finished the highest got ten points for each game. The second place got nine points, um, and so um, you and I were, were going back and forth there for a while with nine and ten points, and then oh, lo and behold, week four, you know, you you'd had you'd had a little bit of a a lead there. I, I believe I want to say you're up by about four points or so. Yeah. And so, so I, I knew I had a little bit of work to do. You know, during that uh, kind of Royal Rumble. For those of you listening who, who did not play this playthrough, the last three days of the month we decided to do a sort of what we called a Royal Rumble, where we would uh, basically let everyone play all of the games again and basically improve their scores if they could. Um, and Terry, I noticed you didn't play in the Royal Rumble. I, I noticed that you just kind of sat it out. I, yeah, the couple games that I knew I did bad at, I didn't really think I'd get any better. So I just yeah. let them go. Yeah, yeah. And and for me, I was I was telling Floyd, I, I, I really knew that I had some ground to make up. And I picked a few games that I felt that I could improve my score in and uh, just kind of stuck with those. There you know, were a few, um, you know, I thought my pitfall score would hold up. Uh, kaboom! I didn't want to play that anymore. I'm sorry, <laughs> irritated. <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, I am not playing anymore." Kaboom! I'm hoping that score holds up. Spider Fighter's like, yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, Terry's score was just so far out of reach. I didn't want to touch that. Sequest, I, I had a little bit of a lead. I was hoping Terry maybe wouldn't play. Improve his score in Sequest. I'm just kind of banking on that. Uh, Stampede. I think I. I moved up the ranks one or two places in that, and Keystone Capers, um, and I believe I tried Enduro but could not do it, and that's sort of that's sort of how I made up 
my places, and I was just begging and hoping. I was like, well, this is enough to tie Terry, so I'm either hoping that Terry doesn't play anymore, or I'm hoping that some of the other guys play and actually surpass Terry's score um, on games where I'm already ahead of Terry and maybe fall somewhere in the middle. So I was hoping for other people to, to kind of bail me out a little bit, but it just didn't happen. So you and I ended up tying, right? Yeah. I think we scored, I, I believe it was 75 points apiece uh, with, with our score. So, you know, instead of sharing the title, which I, I guess we could have done, that, that would have been a, a nice thing to do. Yeah. You know, in, in, in retrospect, <laughs> I think that would have been nice. But but I I contacted Terry and I and I said hey hey man what do you think about what do you think about maybe playing one more game to um you know just to just to just to see you know who could um who could who could come out on top Let, let's try one more game and I and I asked Terry I said okay Terry uh, let me know what you got let me let me know what Activision games you got and uh, we'll just kind of go from there so. So Terry sent me a picture of his games, and we looked through them and everything. And I was like, "All right, Terry, what would you, what would you like to play? What are you thinking of?" And I, I think you gave me a list of three or four, didn't you? Do you remember what you told uh, me? Pit Fighter or Pitfall Two? Uh huh. Oh gosh, I'm a pressure cooker and something. Um... Chopper Command. That was a Chopper Command. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chopper Command. So I I quickly I was like, well, you know, we've already played Pitfall, so let's not play Pitfall Two. You know, just you know, too similar. I mean, they're, they're different games, and Pitfall Two is, is a great game. And and anybody out there, if you've got an Atari, get a copy of Pitfall Two. It's a fantastic sequel. Um, I I did I never played Pitfall Two as a kid. Um, I never even knew it existed until I started collecting for the twenty six hundred. Um, but but anyway, we we had chosen um, Chopper Command and uh, Pressure Cooker as the two, and so. I told Terry, and Terry's like, either one of those is fine with me. And I'm like, you know what, me too. So so I let my daughter flip a coin, and lo and behold, it was Pressure Cooker that we played. And I was excited about it. I like Pressure Cooker. I did a I did an article on RF Generation about Pressure Cooker. You know, it's a fun game, neat. Um, you know, um, I would say it's probably one of the more unique games on the system. Um if I had to say so, it's got a lot of action, um, surprisingly, for a restaurant-themed game, right? But, um, yeah, Terry crushed me. It, it, it wasn't even close. I think I scored like 20-something thousand, and then, uh, you know, I was like, oh, well, I hope this score holds up. And I wake up the next morning, and it's like it's like Terry with like 120-something thousand. I think the badge was at 45,000 or something like that. I was like, oh my gosh. So Terry, I gotta know. You gotta tell me. How'd you do it? Um, I was looking up and down a lot. Uh-huh. Because trying to remember the four different things or three different things uh-huh. they ordered, I couldn't do it. So it was uh-huh. a lot of back and forth and trying to keep it all straight. I Yeah, I, I could never... For some reason, I, I could I couldn't wrap my brain around like looking down and looking at the menu of what or looking at the order, right? Mm-hmm. And I I couldn't look at that and then decide what was actually supposed to go on each order quick enough. My my brain just would not process it quick enough. And and I don't know if it was, you know, if I if I'm used to 
you know, looking from left to right instead of like up and down and determining, you know, what, you know, what is supposed to be on that order. I, I don't know what it was, but for some reason it was the most frustrating thing to me. I, I just could not figure it out. I would put something on a sandwich, like whatever came out first, I would put it on the sandwich and I would just be like, well, let me see if I can figure out what else has this, you know, item on it, you know, or, you know, what other sandwich includes this item. Because, you know, a lot of times you would have, um, you know, you would have a few, like the burgers that would need lettuce or something like that. But, you know, you would have an order of, it's, it's three at a time, right? Yeah. There's always three orders at a time. And so, you know, you're trying to keep up with that. If you've got one with lettuce, you, you got to say, well, what else can go on this? You know, it could be, you know, onion or, you know, you know, uh, cheese or, you know, whatever, you know, the condiment happened to be um, in the order. And then you had to run them down the conveyor belts um, or, or had to put the orders up while the conveyor belt was continually moving, right? And you had to put it in the right slot because if you didn't, you would lose points in that too. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a very chaotic game. But um, one of those games, I would say, uh, for the Atari 2600 that um, that uh, I, I would highly recommend. Yeah. Um, I, I think the best strategy I got was after playing it for the first four hours was I'd, I'd try to remember the one with the most ingredients first. Mm-hmm. And that way I could knock that one out. And then it was easier to work on the one with the less ingredients afterwards. Okay. I think that was probably that was the best thing I got going. All right, right. Well, that's that's good. I mean, I you know I I, I really enjoy hearing other people's strategies on how they play these games, and and you know with the score you put up, I mean, you know, hands down. I mean, congratulations. I mean, you completely deserve the Activision uh, Atari Twenty Six Hundred Activision King title for the month. So we uh, you know from all the guys at the playthrough, I just want to say you know thanks a lot for playing. I do have something that will be coming to you in the mail, and Floyd, you can attest to this, correct? You you've seen pictures of what yeah, I've been working. Yeah, on. I have seen proof. There is okay. um, something very special coming your way. <laughs> right. Let's just say that it's. I'll, I'll just. I'll say it's handcrafted. So, so it, it it's it's very special. So I, I will be getting your address, and I will be sending you something uh, nice in the mail. That uh, it, it might be a few more weeks. I'm working on it right now, but uh, you will have something sent your way. Um, so b- before we close out and I'm going to let Floyd, if, if you have any other questions that you would like to ask him, I'm going to let you kind of fire away. Um, if you have anything you'd like to ask Terry while he's on. Um, yeah, cause a lot of these titles seem to just run on the theme or at least run on the mechanic of like frantic, fast paced gameplay. So Terry, do you just have a knack for these kind of games? Um, or did you like grow up with this? So you're sort of, you're more accustomed to it. Uh, yeah. I mean, basically, yeah. I, when Atari came out, I was seven, eight. So I played a lot of this stuff when I was younger and I, I don't know. I've just grown up with it. So that may be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it might be the so fact like, I didn't, um, I didn't use an Atari joystick. I used one of the aftermarket ones with, you know, it seemed to work better. Okay. I'm curious, which one did you use? Um, oh, God. Now I can't remember the name of it. Can you describe it, maybe? Maybe I can figure out what it is? It was black. Well, they're all black. Um, <laughs> God, what am I saying? They're all black. Um, 
God, I thought I had one right here. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't use it didn't use the push button contacts. It used electricity. It contacted okay. with electricity. Oh, okay. I can't remember what it's called. All right. I I actually use an aftermarket as well. Um and um I use the um Epix EPYX uh 500XJ. It's sort of a it's it's a it really fits nice in your palm. It has a, like a very ergonomic design. It it reminds me of a computer mouse the way and it's got like a little side clicker on it. Um, so that your fingers can side click instead of tapping on the top, so you're not using your thumb. And it's got a very small but responsive stick on it, and that was that was my um, controller of choice. And I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about that. Did you figure out what it was yet? Um, no. I, when I first started playing, I tried to use a Wicko baseball bat, and that w- uh. that was terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those controllers are nice in theory, but uh, they're not great controllers. Well, I tell you what, Terry. What we'll do is, when you figure out what you've got uh, or what you use, just just shoot me a, a private message, and what we'll do is we'll put it in the show notes so that everybody knows what you used, and uh, we can all be searching eBay for the magic stick that will help us win <laughs> uh, Activision championships. All right. <laughs> just yeah, it's just just gone. <laughs> <laughs> Floyd, is there is there anything else that you wanted to ask him about while I had him on? Off the top of my head, no. Um, okay. Just yeah, congratulations on becoming the Atari Activision King. Um, no, you certainly have a phenomenal skill. Um, yeah, something that uh, once I I finally do get my hands on an Atari and some of these games, you'll probably hear from me looking for uh, tips and tricks. All right. Yeah, um, I, I saw a shirt the other day online. It said um, it had an Atari joystick on it. Said one button to rule them all. And I thought that that's a pretty cool shirt. I'm that's, gonna have to get that one. This is very appropriate. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but there is something you know very nostalgic and uh, great about playing a game where you only have one button. And I think that uh, for for a lot of people who you know didn't grow up with the Atari or didn't have the Atari. I think that it, for some of the younger generation, it gets written off quite a bit because it only has one button, and and maybe they think, well, well, this, you know, this possibly can't be that great. Um, Terry, I, I remember you telling me someone in your family you had gotten them playing the Atari. Is that right? Yeah, one of my daughter's boyfriends. He was watching me for a while playing the <laughs> Activision Challenge, and I got him a flashback system to give it a shot for him. <laughs> That's awesome. Is he playing it a lot? I mean, how is he? How would you rate his skills? He's pretty terrible. Okay. <laughs> well, hopefully he won't listen to this. <laughs> no, he's he's definitely more of a modern gamer than yeah anything. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, it's. I think like someone Floyd, someone like you would if you if you got yourself a system and you started playing it, I think you would really enjoy the challenge of these games. They're they're a lot harder. Um, than a lot of people probably think they would be, you know, only having that one button. But, you know, at the same time, you know, a lot of these games don't have endings. You're playing for score. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the greatest aspects, and Terry, you can probably speak to this too, uh, about the Atari system and growing up playing it was I always felt like I was over at someone else's house when I was playing the Atari. It was a very communal system. Yeah, I, I can remember plenty of times in high school you just go to a friend's house and play when pac-man first came out you were going everywhere playing that yeah yeah and the the carts were so small you could just 
just pack them in a bag real quick in a book bag or something, just run over to someone's house. And basically, during that time, this was basically all anyone had. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know anyone who had an Intellivision. I knew one of my dad's co-workers had a Coleco that I played every once in a while and enjoyed that, but everybody, it seemed, had an Atari 2600, right? Oh, yeah. And, and it was just, they had just flooded the market, especially, like, in the early 80s, right before the crash. Uh, it just seems like that, you know, you could pick those up really cheap, you know, at Swap Meet, um, you know, flea markets, things like that. You could, you could pick one up fairly cheap, and it seems like they were in almost everyone's house, and especially the games were cheap then. And, some of them to this day are pretty cheap as well. So, yeah, it was nice. It was nice kind of going back, you know, you know, kicking around some of that nostalgia, you know, putting my hands on that joystick again and just, you know, kind of reliving those times. And what was so great about the community playthrough and what I enjoyed, it was like being in my friend's living room again, you know, competing and playing against other people on these games. And so, you know, I, I really appreciate all of you guys, um, all, all the guys who... Uh, actually participated this month. It was a lot of fun for me, and I just, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it, and I, I want to say that hopefully down the road, maybe we can do another challenge, maybe iMagic Challenge. So I don't know how many of those cards you have, but, uh, you know, th that's a pretty good uh, series as well. Uh, but before I let you go, Terry, I just wanted to kind of maybe get your thoughts. One last thing. Um, I, I know we mentioned a few other Activision titles, but are there any Activision titles that you might recommend to maybe the person who's wanting to get into Atari collecting? Uh, what would you say some of the big titles to shoot for other than the ones we played uh, in April would be? Um, I played a lot of Hero. Mm -hmm. That one was fairly decent. Um, yeah, for a lot of people, I think that's their favorite Activision game. They, they like it the most. It's sort of a kind of a pitfall. Um, kind of has a pitfall. You're, you're searching for uh, trapped... Uh, people in caves right trap people in caves yeah it's kind of an Obs obstacle game yeah it, sort of like pitfall advanced yep. pitfall yeah yeah very advanced pitfall game and i have one else I have a lot of memories of playing dragster i mean it was a terrible game but that was when we used to sit around and play a lot too <laughs> i still haven't figured dragster out man <laughs> that's, that's a lot of timing and a lot of grinding noise <laughs> yeah 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 I, I think we mentioned river raid um any, any other games that you can think of for the Activision that you really like? Um, well, I like Space Shuttle, but wow, that's a, that's a whole different kind of game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, um, Crackpots I thought was a pretty good game. Um, I, I, I like that one. That's kind of a... Uh, reminds me a lot of Kaboom, except that you're at the top and you're dropping potted plants on spiders as they try to crawl up the walls. Um, so I thought that that was... Um, a great Activision title. Um, a lot of people, and one that I almost picked for this month was Barnstorming. Oh no! <laughs> but it, but again, a very aggravating game. Uh, Fishing Derby, I think, is a pretty decent title for the uh, for the twenty six hundred. And then um, one of, one of my favorites, and uh, just for nostalgic purposes, was Grand Prix. Uh, uh, I love that game. I have a special connection. My my grandmother used to play that game with uh, me and my cousin. So uh, you know, just uh, I just I just have great memories of that and uh, her screaming every time she would wreck because it sounds like it's someone being electrocuted every time you wreck your car. So you know, just a a fun and neat game. So anyway, um, 
guys, we hope that that you will, after you listen to this podcast, you will come on to the forums, talk a little bit about the games, talk about the, the month of Activision play, and then also let us know what some of your favorite Activision games are. Um, Terry, again, thanks a lot for joining us. We really appreciate you uh, coming on with us and talking a little bit, bit about the month and the games and your strategies. And uh, on behalf of everyone at RF Generation, the playthroughs, uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us. So this month on the Modern Playthrough, we played a Nintendo DS game called Magical Star Sign. I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to Sean, who was our uh, leader for the month, and let him tell you a little bit about this game. Yeah, so I just want to throw out there that one of my favorite genres in video games is um, like the cuter RPGs that are maybe you know designed for a more casual audience or maybe for a younger audience um i really like the atelier games on ps3 uh one of my favorite games uh of all time is a game called rhapsody a musical adventure for ps1 and when i saw magical star sign i I thought that it had that same aesthetic um as those kind of games so i was really excited to play it and when I brought it to the community playthrough group, we all thought it looked like a cool game to play. So Magical Star Sign is actually the sequel to a game called Magical Vacation, which was a Japan-only Game Boy Advance game. It was developed by Brownie Brown, which is a studio that is owned by Nintendo. They're now called One Up Studios, and they have done some of the... Um, uh, Mana games on the Game Boy Advance, and they also did a little bit of work on uh, Super Mario 3D Land, amongst other things. But um, the game came out in 2006 in the United States, and like I said, it, it's it's an RPG that goes. Uh, it uses primarily touch controls. You can you can play the entire game using only the touch screen, which I've which I, at first I thought was a, a really cool idea, but as actually I, as I played the game, I, I didn't like it uh, that much, and uh, we can get into that as we discuss the game. Um, but uh, my initial impressions of the game was that it was, it was very nice and colorful, and at first I was really getting a lot of the things that I wanted to get out of that cute RPG f- genre feeling type game, like... Uh, you know, the script was really funny. The characters were very colorful and cute. The The battle system was kind of simple and easy to master. Um, but as, as I went through the game, um, I, I wasn't exactly getting sucked in by it. And uh, when I was about halfway through the game, I had uh, a couple things happen in my personal life that... Uh, uh, prevented me from really being able to finish the game, so it was at it was at that point that I I handed the playthrough over to Rich, who you guys know as Single Banana, 
and uh, he was already rolling through the game, so he's going to have a very different perspective on it than I am, and he actually finished the game and, and liked it a lot. So um, what, what I liked about my time with the game, and I did get about 15 hours into it. It's not like I just tried it and then put it down. Um, but what I liked about that game, again, is like the, the cute aesthetic. The battle system was easy to master. Uh, what I didn't like was after a while, only using the touch screen made me f not feel like I was playing a video game, but more like uh, some kind of like educational or like an iPad game or an iPhone game. I know you don't use a stylus for those devices, but that's kind of what it made me feel like. And so the, the other thing I didn't love about the game was the music. And I, f I found that like I, it was hard to play this game for prolonged periods of time with headphones on because the music started to get annoying to me. And I actually find this with a lot of DS games that I play. So I don't know if I actually just I have a personal preference against the DS uh, sound chip, which is you know totally possible. But I didn't like the music in this game, so there was there was a couple of things that were preventing me from just having like long playthroughs of this game. But I did like um, in the battle system. There's a a timing element that's very reminiscent to uh, Super Mario RPG, mm -hmm. which you can uh, you, you know you time your touchscreen presses to make your attacks more powerful or to defend yourself a little bit better. Um, the only thing I, I didn't like about that was that it wasn't uh, the, the game didn't give you enough feedback to say whether you were doing it right or not. Like when you did an attack and you did the timing right, the, the screen would just flash white and um, the, 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 the icon changed. And Rich, you, you were talking on the forum about that a little bit. I think right. you probably mastered that system a little bit better than, than some other people did. So I, I got it down pat a little bit, but I don't, I don't think I quite mastered that system. But um, yeah, that's, that's definitely something you know we'll kind of, we'll kind of touch on. Sure. I mean, I think you. I think you're bringing up some just great points about the game, and you know things that that I liked about the game as well, and and definitely things that that I disliked about the game as well. Um, you mentioned that, um, and and I think we'll hit on all those points. Um, I, I want to say first of all um, that I really appreciate. I really appreciate uh, Sean uh, actually sent me a DS. Um, I want to tell this story first of all because um, he told me he had a DS for sale and that he had picked it up at a really good price and he had gotten a new one. Um, I think, Sean, did you say that you got a, um, the one with the larger screen? Is that correct? Yeah, I bought a uh, DSi XL and uh, it has bigger, yeah, the bigger screens. So I really didn't need the DS Lite anymore. But but what's great about this is the DS Lite he sent me was a pearl pink colored DS Lite. So oh yeah, <laughs> very macho, very macho. <laughs> so my uh, so my first experience uh, with the Nintendo DS um, was on a pink uh, DS, which I which I played, um, uh, and uh, it, it was it was a great experience. Um, and and that's I'm kind of coming from not only you know this is kind of one of the First, more modern RPGs that I've played, you know, I've, I've played a lot of old ones, but this is actually my first interaction with this handheld console. So, 
I'm going to have probably a little different perspective than what you do as well. But uh, I want to thank you for sending me that and sell it to me for a great price. Uh, luckily, I was able to pass that along to my daughter and found me a, a, found a cobalt blue one at a great price. So, uh, Oh, cool. <laughs> recently, so uh, she's going to have a lot of fun with that, and I've already picked her up quite a few games. Um, nice. One of the things that you mentioned um, earlier was that this one was based on a magical vacation which was, you said that was the original Japanese that it was um, based on. Um, the, the current Magical Star sign that we're playing, it, it, it sort of starts out in a, um, like a school academy. Um, right. that, that's where it opens up, the plot opens up in that sort of setting. Do you know anything about the original or anything about the plot of the original that um, maybe kind of takes us into this second one? Um, I don't, but I'm actually looking at the, uh, the Wikipedia for it right now. Okay. And actually the screenshots, like the battle system looks very similar and I can see a lot of the same characters. Okay. Um, so yeah, it looks like you're, you're traveling, uh, yeah, the Will-O-Wisp Academy is involved and... You're you're taking uh, vacations to different areas. It sounds like a lot, it, very similar to the plot of this game, which we can explain right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the plot of this one is sort of you're at you're at a magic academy, and you and your schoolmates you you get to pick you get to actually choose a character from the beginning um, and name your character. You know, so a hero or heroine at the beginning, and um, you're at this magical academy, and all of a sudden you're. Uh, your professor or your teacher, she disappears, and so you're going on this mission traveling from planet to planet uh, to rescue and find her, and there's certainly, you know, um, an additional backstory to that, um, you know, sort of a world domination story, and the teacher is a powerful magician who's gone to stop um, uh, this other, I, I guess, powerful magician who is trying to take over the galaxy and destroy the galaxy. So that's, I guess that's sort of the plot point unless you have anything to add to that Sean no that's about as far as I got <laughs> I mean in the beginning you're you and your classmates all get into rockets and you get scattered throughout the solar system so one of the initial plot points is that you have to go gather up your right classmates at the different um planets right so just your average day at school yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. yeah it, it's sort of the game's sort of broken up into three parts it's um you know, you're in the academy, everyone goes off on different rockets, you're collecting your group. I would say like uh, the collection of the other five characters is probably the first part of the game. There's a second part of the game where you're trying to find these things called gummies, which is this these strange magical items made of basically gummy material. Um, and that's the, sort of the second part of the game is you're trying to collect the different elemental gummies. And there's um, five of those as well. Um, and then the third part of the game would be, you know, traveling to the dark planet, uh, the the sun planet, sort of the light planet and the dark planet, which is sort of the encapsulates sort of the end of the game. Um, but um, I had in my notes, um, do you guys remember the show? Um, what was it called? Um, oh, oh, my gosh. Was it called like Heroes or something like that? They had like the cheerleader and do you yeah. remember that show that was on TV. 
Yeah. You know, of it, but I never actually watched it myself. Yeah, I, I never watched it either, but I just remember the tagline was uh, like, save the cheerleader, save the world. I have save the teacher, <laughs> save the world here, you know, in my notes, which I thought was, was pretty funny. It just kind of popped in my head when I was thinking about the game. Um, but we were talking, Sean, you were talking a little about the, um, uh, the kind of cuteness of the RPG, and I think that was, you know, we, we warned people before they played that this was sort of a cutie uh cute rpg and um what what did you think what was your take on it was it was it too cute or was it just enough or um, well you know what for like i said in the intro my tastes are very skewed towards this style so it it really Mm -hmm. i i like uh girly anime type rpgs i like cute rpgs i like them you know easy and um so for me, it's 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 hard to say like oh it, it was too cute or I would even say it wasn't cute enough. But I actually think like it it had more of a classic aesthetic to me than anything else. Like yeah, there were some cutesy characters. Mm-hmm. Like Lassie was a really kind of cutesy, funny character. Right. But uh, tell me, uh, Maka, the robot character, wasn't a carbon copy of Robo from Chrono Trigger. Right. I mean, yeah. A lot of the characters were kind of uh tributes or throwbacks to uh classic rpg characters yeah i thought pico was sort of a throwback to uh chrono from chrono trigger as well the spiky red hair you know yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah yeah. so how about you floyd um what did you think about it was it a little too cute or how how did you feel about it through the game as you play um at first the cuteness was a little bit too much Mm -hmm. but uh the more the more i played the game i i got used to it um, I think what I got a kick out of the, uh, like almost everybody's name was some sort of food pun. Right. Um, <laughs> like you, you meet some characters called brioche and, uh, like camembert. Um, but, uh, my, my, my general impressions of the game were that it, it, it was good. It was fun. Like really lighthearted, really casual. Mm-hmm. It it's hard to say if it was too cute, because um, it it kind of was. Right. But okay. Once once you set that aside, it, it's it's a fun little experience. Right. Right. I, I I thought from the beginning, and I think um, disposed hero one of our um, one of our participants said it best. He says, you know, I'm liking the game a lot so far. When I first started playing it, I was, I was a little put off by the game's cutesy presentation, but it quickly grew on me, and now I would say that it gives the game a unique charm. I, I think sort of what he's referring to is something I kind of brought up on the forums was that I, I think that's very, that, that the cutesiness is very heavy at the beginning, but I think as you progress through the game, um, you know, you still get yeah, the yeah, kind of... It, it, it yeah. gets more serious. Right, right, and, and, and that kind of falls off a bit, though you still have like... The, the names of characters or, uh, you know, NPCs or enemies, you'll, you'll still have those sort of cute names and things like that. And the towns will have cute names. But I, I think that that's, I, I think that that sort of wears off and you get a little bit more into the plot and um, the feel of the story. And it's a little better. And I would say if you, if you haven't played this game, I, I still think it's, it's one that, that you're going to find for a really good price. Um, I think it yeah, runs... It's very cheap mm-hmm. for an RPG mm-hmm. uh, that was developed basically by Nintendo. Right. It's, it's surprising how under the, wa- under the radar it actually is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how much the uh, market value is for it. Like, I think I found a complete in... copy for 
10 bucks? Yeah, 10 bucks yeah, seems uh, about really the average. Cheap. 5 to 10 yeah. bucks. Okay, so maybe I overpaid a little. I was going to say I found a <laughs> copy at uh, EB Games. There's two of them there for about 17 Oh, uh, okay. I thought that seemed okay, but maybe... You didn't drastically much. overpay. Nah. No, but, nothing um, too bad. No, I, I recommend people at least give it a try. Yeah, hmm. definitely. I think it's one, you know, you know, like we said, like with early DS games, PSP games, I think those type of games are really... Uh, it's a good time to buy, right? Um, you know, Xbox. Um, it, it, it's... You know, these games aren't really shooting up in value. They've kind of dropped because they're sort of in between. They're not the very classic systems, and they're not the brand new systems. So they're, they're in a really good place to buy them now. So if you come across a copy, I would definitely recommend picking it up, putting your collection, and, you know, um, just picking it up when you get time to play it. So. Mm. Yep. And, uh, and uh, I was uh, going to say, uh, because my only experience with the game is uh, maybe 10 minutes at most, uh, because I, uh, I bought a copy, I tested it, and uh, for me, on the cuteness aspect that you guys were talking about, it was a little too much. Like, uh, I'm not a fan of anime to begin with, and there are a lot of anime-based games that I can kind of look past it and just go for the gameplay, because usually video games, I don't know, to me it feels like they aren't so focused on the anime elements, mm-hmm. uh, and it's toned down a bit compared to TV shows and comic books and stuff. Mm-hmm. But this one just was, it just had so many cliche uh, styles and i don't know it was a big turn off for me yeah. i think when something it's i just fair, couldn't man. look past yeah, yeah yeah it's definitely it's it's definitely a fair criticism but i and if you're not into that type of stuff i can definitely see like how that would make you not want to play any more of the game you know because you get hit really heavy with it at first but i think if you stayed mm-hmm. with it another 20 minutes and you know made it to the rockets got to the first planet and started playing it i think the plot develops a little more and i think that I think you'll actually enjoy the game a little more, and you'll you'll be playing. Yeah, it. I could see maybe playing it someday, but yeah. I'd I'd really have to be in the right mindset for it. Oh yeah, and, uh, Under- I don't know, just give it a little bit more. Understand, understand. effort. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people quit that game during the tutorial at the beginning, because that yeah, was that's really where I did. it was really drawn out and really simple. You know, like mm-hmm. that, I found that to be the hardest part of the whole game. Just like yeah. it tried my patience so much. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you know, with with newer crowds and you know younger people playing, you know, DS and, and Nintendo, Nintendo typically is a system, you know, as we know, a, a very a, a system that's usually made for the younger generation. You know, they they've always stayed true to that. Um, you know, whereas PlayStation, I think the term is family friendly. Right, right. That's right. Mm. That's exactly right. That's a great way to. Yeah, describe I can definitely it. see uh, for all these kind of games, especially uh, ones like this, where I'm not a big fan of it myself. I can say uh, pretty uh, accurately, I think that it's a really great style of game for kids. Right. But uh, there's some of these games that just are too young for me in my mind. Yeah, and with the with what with what Floyd was saying about the tutorial, I think that you know for us, you know, we've been playing games for a long time and. And with an RPG, we don't need someone to hold our hand. You know, we're gonna figure exactly. it out. You know, but with, with the with the system being more family friendly, such as this one, and introducing something like an RPG to possibly a younger crowd, there may be there probably does need to be a little bit more hand holding. And you know, I, I kind of took it at that. I, I do get annoyed with tutorials. You know, I'm just like, oh, really? Again? I mean, you know, you know, I've been playing these things for years, so I really don't need a whole lot of tutorial. But you know, I I think that was probably the reason, and it didn't it didn't really bother me as bad. But there there were some parts of the tutorial, and I I probably get to that later that that I didn't really 
have like a, a really good concept of. There were some parts of the game that were kind of odd that, um, you know, as far as the combat system. So m- maybe we should move on talk about the combat system a little bit, and that's something that um, sure. Sean had mentioned. Um, and, and maybe we can kind of segue into that pretty well. Um, yes. Okay. So, yeah, um, in the game, in the overworld or, or in the towns, you, you can actually move your characters around with um, the D-pad or the uh, face buttons. Mm-hmm. But it, when you're in battle, it's touchscreen only. So you have all your basic uh, RPG commands, attack, magic, run, you know, run away or use an item, mm-hmm. but you, um, the game implements uh, a formation system where if you have a magic user in the back, there's two rows basically, mm-hmm. and you you can align your six characters in two rows of three or any other configuration thereof, and the if you have a spellcaster in the back, that'll be a attack all cast uh you know it'll attack all the enemies that can kind of lob the spell over but if you have a spellcaster in the front line they can only attack one enemy and then um you know if you're in the back what was it rich that uh they could only hit you with magic right you, like if somebody was in the back they couldn't get hit with a physical yeah, attack. They could only hit that by right? magic. that's right. right or right. or any move that hit everyone Right. So you have to work that into your strategy as far as weaker and stronger characters, and you have to figure out where you want to put them. And, um, and contrary to that, just let me mention real quick, and I'll let you continue. Sure. The, yeah. the enemies were set up the same way. The enemies were in rows as well, so the ones in front could physically attack you, and the ones in the back would cast spells and would um, would attack your entire party. So you, you had to think about that in combat as well, how those, um, how those enemies were going to attack you. And, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. You don't get face-to-face access to all the enemies like in most RPGs. You're right, right. Right, exactly. So that added a little element of uh, strategy and mm-hmm. pre-planning because you could set up your your uh, configuration, uh, you, you know, just when you were not in battle so you can get ready. Um, the other thing it had, which for those of us who played uh, Super Mario RPG for uh, one of our earlier community playthroughs last year, um, it, it employed a similar uh, button, t- uh, you know, you know, actually a touchscreen timing t- uh, system, which I mentioned in the opening, um, where you would select your attack or your spell, and right before it was about to land, you would touch the enemy with your stylus. And if you timed it right, you would get extra damage. And the same thing with um, if you were healing or if you were if you were about to be attacked, you'd tap yourself and you would, um, you know, defend yourself better. Um, but like I said in the, the intro, and Rich, you can touch on this now, mm-hmm. is that uh, I had I just had a hard time doing it a lot of the time and i felt like like in super mario rpg you could really master it with with a particular like maybe not every character you could get every time but Mm -hmm. i found like certain characters i had it down pat that i was getting it every time but in this game it it seemed pretty random and i don't know if that was a a technological uh, limitation of using the touch screen to do it Mm -hmm. but i felt like it was a little more random i I agree i I think that when I would touch the screen with my stylus, I would always wonder if, indeed, I was getting a reaction from from that. I mean, 
my, my DS was very responsive with movement and everything. So I, so I thought I, I was. Um, the strategy that I used, and, and as I put it on there, when you were casting, what you would do is there you would cast in this ring would, of your element that you were casting. Each character was associated with an element. And the symbol for that element would there would be like I guess like six or eight of them that would just kind of spin around you, and it would it would kind of grow outward, and then as it would come back in, I would tap my stylus on my character who was casting the spell, and if you could hit it at the right time, you would get a sort of a, a super spell, you know, an enhanced version of that spell, and right. so um, I got it I, I got it fairly down pat for most characters. Uh, the one character that I did have trouble with was Sorbet, and I don't I don't know why that was. It was just I, I could really I I don't know if there was a different kind of um, hitbox. I don't know if there were you know if there if it was influenced by um, uh, items that you had, you know, uh, because okay. because I know that I, I think it was Mocha the robot. Um, I think he had like an item that would increase your um, your ability to do, you know, bigger damage, or you know, your special spell. And so I think that maybe there was some sort of hitbox, or, or some sort of window that you had to tap within. And I think it maybe varied for each character. Now, I I, I can't confirm that, but that was basically what I experienced with that touchscreen. Okay, that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um... Now, what did you think about what I was saying on the the forum thread uh, about the boss battles? Uh, I thought they were a little too tough, if not unbalanced, mm. but you disagree with me on that. I actually had a hard time from the first boss. Uh, the Spider Queen uh, kicked my butt a couple times, okay. and I was kind of like, what the hell's going on? Like, I can't even beat the first boss but you you didn't seem to have that kind of trouble so i'm just wondering uh you know how how our experiences were so different uh, and i i didn't i guess not to say i didn't grind i actually right. felt like i was pretty equipped for the common enemies but when it came to bosses i i had a lot of trouble right i i tend to be when i play rpgs i tend to be a bit of an overhealer um, if I'm getting somewhat low, you know, I'm not, I'm not the kind, and, and, I, and again, I don't know how you play, but when I, when I start getting low, I don't heal, um, I, I don't heal when I get really low. I start healing when I'm kind of midway down in my okay. HP, and so maybe that's what I was doing. Um, also with the, with the characters, like as far as putting them in the different rows, I think what the tendency is when you have a character, your main character, your hero or your heroine, you you always think, okay, this is going to be my most balanced, my heaviest hitting character. I'm going to put this character in the front row. I, I kind of quickly learned that um, I, I did the heroine. Um, I, I did the girl. And I put her in the back row. Um, and I also put Lassie in the back row because those were the two primary healers in the game. Um, and so I put them in the back row and I think that sort of helped things out quite a bit, you know, as I progressed through the game and and through the bosses, um, as far as the spider queen was concerned, I think I had both of them in the front that I would have had them in the front row for that because that was at the beginning. Um, and like I said, I think for me, 
I'm probably just an overhealer. I probably was using a lot of healing items, you know, to keep my um, HP up, and that that might have been the difference in that. And, and it might have, it also might have been. I can't remember that fight because it's been so long ago. But um, the strategy of the fight, were there? I, it helped me re- refresh my memory on that fight. Were there? Weren't there ads in that fight? Yes. Okay. Um, and I, and I think my mistake at the beginning was I was attacking the ads and taking out the ads. But what would happen is when you would finish taking them out, they would replenish again. So yes, I believe there was like a head and and the limbs or something like that. Right. And and uh, you know, uh, support calls that that she would have. Right. And so, so I think once I once I took them out the first time, and then they respawned the second time. I think what I did was probably took two out of the three out and left the other one and just attacked the queen. And, and that was, you know, that's, that's how I got through that battle. It was just kind of a, you know, just kind of a quick kind of reaction and learning from that battle. And again, you know, I I tend to overheal. So I think that that maybe was what happened there. Um, I, I only had during the game, I only had, one problem with with one of the bosses that I had to go back. Um, it took me three or four times um, to beat um, the Holy Sapling. That was in Yegg Salad. That was the name of the area. Y G G S A L A D Yegg Salad. Um, okay. And I definitely uh, didn't get that far. So. <laughs> yeah, and that was for um, I can't remember which gummy it was for, but it was for one of the gummies, and that was that that fight I had to you know, restart several times. But luckily, and one of the things I really liked about this game was that much like Fantasy Star, you could save anywhere and at any time, which was really nice, you know, to be able to do that. Um, you know, saving before battles was was really nice. Yeah, you kind of, that's, that was one of the, I'm glad you brought that up because I kind of forgot about that. That was one of the things that I, was a big plus for me for this game because I was playing it a lot at work. Mm-hmm. So I would only be able to play for like 15 minutes mm-hmm. on a break or, right. you know, 20 minutes on my lunch. So to be able to save any time was, was a real big uh, thing for me, especially, you know, this is a portable game, so they right. got to make it, uh, you know, easy to play on the go. Yeah. So. But unlike Fantasy Star, I felt like wherever you saved at, you were never in a spot where, you know, you couldn't say, oh, well, I'm not strong enough to beat this enemy. I'm going to need to grind more or, you know, um, or, or I'm not going to be able to get out of the situation that I'm in right now. You know, you, I think right, you were easily right. able to get out of where you were. And, you know, it wasn't like you were in a dungeon or something like you were in Fantasy Star where you, you had to have more than one save file. I, I ran one save file the whole time and, and I was fine. So I think they did a really nice job of uh, making sure that participants didn't get stuck, you know, during saves and had to, you know, run additional save files. So that is... Yeah, I never... You you never had to um, save yourself into a corner, so to speak. Right, right. With the combat, um, something else that I I wanted to bring up is it it was... uh, This is one of those games where you're just kind of walking along and it was basically a random encounter game. You know, just going to run into enemies. And... And Sean, I think you and I and, and Floyd, you can you can speak to this as well. Um, the battle seemed very tedious and long. Um, you know, just even just the random encounters, you know, just kind of the trash battles seemed, you know, like it would take, you know, like almost like a minute and a half to two minutes at least just to, you know, just to get through a simple battle. 
Yes. Uh, and, and even after being in an area, maybe grinding for a while, where in a, almost any other RPG I can think of that I've played, I should be able to wipe out those common enemies very quickly. Right. I almost never got to that point in this game. Uh, yeah. yeah. What, Floyd, you got any experience with that? Uh, well, I want to start off by saying that I've found the random encounters to be very sparse. Um, yeah, the encounter rate was pretty... I thought it was fine, actually. I, I, but if you think it was low, that's a valid um, you know, valid viewpoint. I thought the encounter rate was fine. I didn't think it was detrimentally low, but it was on the low side for sure. Uh, but I, I, I like the battles. Um, you know, I, I like turn-based RPGs, so I didn't have any problem with you know one to two minute random encounters. Cool. Yeah, I mean that's definitely a valid viewpoint. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the encounters got a little heavier as you progress through the game, and again, I, I think it, I, I think it has something to do with that sort of idea of kind of hold your hand. Um, there were some battles that were as you made it through the game that were not random encounters where you could see the enemies, run mm-hmm. into the enemies, and then battle. Um, what I liked about the battles is that there would be some enemies that work together. Um, Mm-hmm. One example I can think of is when you're in the uh, the first pirate mole cave, there were frozen enemies, and there would be one guy who can thaw them out, or, or over time they would thaw it or something. Hmm. So, do, you don't remember that? No, I, I don't. I don't recall that. I, I really no. don't. Oh, okay. Um, maybe I don't. I don't know uh, why you didn't experience this, but. I, I found some enemies to to, uh, to work together to sort of dwindle down my hit points. Right. Right. Hmm. hmm. I, I did. I didn't notice that, but you know, I that's definitely you know quite possible. I, I did notice one thing. I did note about the enemies was that typically, you know, your different planets were basically a representative of the elements. Correct. Like you had like a wood planet. You had mm-hmm. you know a water planet, a wind planet, a fire planet. Um, and the enemies, the majority of the enemies that were located on that planet were associated with that element. With Yeah. Right. I, I think the battles really opened up once you got that uh, cosmic shift move or whatever it was called. Uh-huh. And, and, and you could move the planets along that star system. Right. So you could move your planets into their, um, uh, into their areas, which would boost your, your character stats or... Mm-hmm. Or I would often move my enemies' planets out of their zones, right? So so that they were weaker. Yeah, it was called celestial swap, was what it was called. That's it. Yep, yep. Yeah. And and they could actually use that against you as well. They could move mm-hmm. you out if you, you know, if um, if your alignment was so that your character was powered up, um, they could move that out. And I guess that's something we should probably maybe discuss, sort of bring up, is sort of describe what you're talking about Floyd there like the the whole planet alignment um, combat system that was set up in this game okay so this game has a bit of a more involved combat uh, system like we've already touched on the uh, the time tits but every character is affiliated with a magical star sign mm-hmm. and those star signs are affiliated with uh, celestial planets uh, that revolve around the solar system and when a planet was in its uh, color, like if the um, if the wood planet was in sort of that brownie zone, mm-hmm. your wood 
uh, element characters would be stronger. Mm -hmm. um, and it had that uh, rock, paper, scissors mechanic of uh, this element is strong, is, um, strong against that element, right. but weak against this element. Mm -hmm. um, so it, you really had to think about who you're... Well, you always had your six party members, but you always had to think about who was attacking who when you were fighting. Yeah, and when, so, you would, when you would touch with your stylus, when you would get ready to fire a spell you would see the element of the enemy's sort of the, the sign for the, the magical star sign of the enemy sort of floating around the enemy, so you'd have a better idea of who you needed to attack and who you would do the most damage or the least amount of damage to, right? Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you, um, uh, for example, picked Lassie and wanted to do her magical move, mm -hmm. all the enemy's star signs would light up above their head so you can target a specific enemy, which it really helped when you were... Um, fighting with magic. Yeah, and one thing I liked about the game is that it had a little, um, a little thing you could tap with your stylus that would automatically anywhere you were during battle would bring up the chart to show you, you know, which was because I, you know, I mean, for me, I always know that like, okay, water's gonna put out fire, right? You know, mm -hmm. I, I know that. You know, that's, you know, that that's common in in games like Final Fantasy. It goes back a, a you know long time, but you know, when you get into things like you know, like, of course, fire is going to be, you know, uh, strong against wood. But when you go from, like, wood to, like, earth and wind, those things get a little tricky sometimes. And I found myself not being able to remember those. So I would, you know, I would, I, I was really happy that they had that little option that you could click on and you could really tell what you needed um, to yeah, yeah. I, I referenced that diagram quite quite a bit. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and and there was it's almost like Pokemon with the uh, extensive <laughs> yeah. uh, complexities uh, of the different elements. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that. That's a good comparison. Yeah, I think I think they do. I think they kind of brought in you know small pieces of, of different types of games into this one game, and was was something I really enjoyed. But there was there was also another dynamic. There was a night and day dynamic too, right? Well, yeah, because you're hero or heroine character would be affiliated with night or day right darker so light if, yes or yeah darker light um and during the daytime if your character was uh, a light character he or she would be imbued with more power and would be weaker at night and vice versa if they were a dark element okay okay so i guess my question is how how did you guys who played the game how did you how did you feel about this did it work well was it was it too complex? Was it was it a little much? I I, I, I myself I, I thought there was a lot going on, and a lot of times I had trouble kind of figuring it out. But once I it, it took me a while to sort of learn the planet alignment system, and and I was mentioning earlier we were talking about the tutorial. I, I did not think the tutorial did an outstanding job of explaining it. Um, it, it did do a an, you know, a slight job of explaining it, but I was still very confused about the whole planet alignment issue and how that worked in the game. And um, it, it took me a little while. I was probably midway through the game before I really kind of figured that portion of it out. So did you memorize the um, planet alignments? No. Huh? Like uh, the, the strengths and weaknesses? Um, the strengths and weaknesses, no. I never felt like I had to memorize that uh, as far as the elements were concerned, because I always had the chart. You know, I could right. always I could always reference that if I needed to, which I which I really liked about the game. But with the the planet alignments, I I guess I, I was a little thrown off by that and how that actually worked. 
and you know where that zone was. I think it was probably until I got Celestial Swap that I really started to understand it a lot more, you know, because I had to interact with it a little more. Yeah, that's a good point because sometimes before you get Celestial Swap, you'd see one of your characters or an enemy character glowing, and they, it didn't really explain why. So that that threw me off too. So that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sean, how did you feel about it? I kind of thought it was just one of those things that was happening as a layer over what I was doing. And I, I honestly just kind of let it happen, didn't pay too much attention to it. I, f- I felt like the the contextual, like the icons and your character glowing, like I knew either something good was happening or don't don't attack this enemy because they'll, they'll, you won't do damage or do attack this enemy because you'll do more damage in your element. Uh, so I couldn't explain the system to you very well, but mm-hmm. I felt like um, contextually within the game, they didn't like you guys are saying they didn't do a beautiful job of explaining how and why and when everything was happening. But I just kind of went with it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We well, spent roughly 20 odd hours with the game, so you would eventually learn the mechanics of it. Right, right, right. Exactly. I guess. I guess my issue was I I kind of wish I wouldn't have... I, I'm not sure at what point you got Celestial Swap, but I want to say it was 10 to 15 hours into the game, maybe. Because it, it, was, it wasn't immediate, you know. It, it took a while to get that. Um, I, I just kind of felt like I, it shouldn't have taken me that long to kind of, you know, understand the game. But at the same time, it, you know, the game, the difficulty of the game from the beginning, wasn't it wasn't exceedingly difficult, so I didn't really have a lot of problems in the beginning so once the learning curve kind of caught up i was fine you know i i didn't right. struggle with the game so you know there's that as well um one thing that that i was a little concerned about and i guess you guys could talk about this um was the use the ratio of physical attacks to magical attacks um i i felt like you know with the way the magic with the way your magic points sort of regenerated on their own, um, I, I felt like I, I never really had a problem of really running out of magic, and so I, I didn't use well, physical attacks a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, sort you of the were opposite. encouraged to fight with magic, weren't you? Yeah, you were. There was, yeah. I think, there was even an NPC that mentioned something about don't be afraid to use your magic often, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I think the game is kind of set up that way, and. Eh, why not? Like, I, I don't have any... Uh, I, I use physical attacks here and there, and I did find, like, um, like Lassie's uh, heal all used 100% of her mm-hmm. uh, mana, or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, magic points. Um, so that was something you had to account for. But then you have the... Uh, what was it? Sap that gave you back your magic points. I forget what the item was. But... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I found that if I was using the low-level magic attacks, you'd never run out. But if you wanted to you know, use one of your major attacks, it, it could use more than half of your magic points. So you could only use it maybe once or twice during battle mm-hmm. unless you had somebody use an item to replenish those magic points. But you are totally right that they just uh, the the MP regenerates pretty readily in this game, mm-hmm. and you usually don't have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah, and especially with someone like Lassie, I think hers regenerates quicker than anyone, and and she was such a weak attacker 
that you could skip around and not cast and you know yep. her her magic would regenerate and yep yep I would do that yeah and so what would happen was yeah it, when you would cast that heal spell it would take up all of your mana but um the lower amount of mana that you had left the weaker the heal would be so yeah, yeah I like that uh yeah. Concept. Yeah, it was it was a nice little mechanic. So, but but you really had to you know kind of contemplate. My gosh, I'm going to use up all of my mana casting this one spell, and I think that your hero or heroine had a heal spell as well, and it was fifty percent correct of the, uh, I the think magic. So. Yes, yeah, that was something I got towards right when right at the end when I started. Mm-hmm. See, now I didn't use the main heroine as a as a healer because. Okay. I actually didn't have that heal spell till right about when I stopped playing. Right. So I had a little bit of a different strategy than you. But yeah, I believe it was 50%. Well, I think your strategy was the similar to mine. Um, I think that like, but as you progress through the game and you and your party grows to six, I, I think you mm-hmm. have to end up moving. Your, your heroine sort of is up to the front at the beginning because um, he or she is a very strong attacker. But what you end up having to do is you have to move to the back row because she takes on more of a healing role in the game, I think. Um, okay. And, and then I, I think the other character I used at the back was Sorbet because Sorbet had a lot of um, sort of enhancement spells that she could use over the entire party. Um, and so that, that tended to be my typical thir- uh, second row. So. Okay. But um, Floyd, did, did you have any comments about the, the magic? Did you think overuse or um just no, right no i didn't think it was overused at all okay um i i thought it was really well done and you're right in saying that your main hero or heroine would be a heavy hitter at first mm-hmm. and as your party was totally assembled he or she would become more of a um you know heal when necessary or fight when necessary type character right, right. And, and and his or her spells were powerful enough where you could attack from the back row and still do since you were attacking from the back row you would attack multiple enemies and still do a fair amount of damage from that mm-hmm. back row which was which was nice as well i i, I would often get frustrated with uh, mocha though because he would almost always run out of mana Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah, well, he starts with such a low, a low total amount. Yeah, that, and and it, yeah, it uses it all up like pretty. His, his magic moves were uh, pretty strong, but uh, they would take a lot of his mana, and he regenerates it so slowly. Yeah, yeah. His, his attacks true. weren't his physical attacks weren't weren't bad either. He he didn't have a lot of mana. Um, his physical attacks were fairly strong. Where you could use those, um, he was, you know, he was kind of your front row, front center guy, right? He was your, mm-hmm. he was your guy that's going to take your damage. I mean, he definitely had the most hit points out of any character in that game. I mean, by far. And uh, you know, we we talked about it in Fantasy Star with the different roles of the characters, and I definitely thought that Mocha tended to be that sort of tank, right? Yeah, yeah, he was definitely a damage uh, sponge. <laughs> yeah, for sure. With a with a name like Mocha, maybe it's supposed to be like your caffeine intake almost uh, <laughs> you know like uh, hard hitting for a short time and then dies off <laughs> caffeine buzz over yeah yeah exactly <laughs> great point yeah, there you go <laughs> and so something else i think sean mentioned that I, that um was really important in this game was sort of the stylus interface and we've already talked about you know how that worked with casting and 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 actually physical damage too you know tapping the stylus and creating more damage um 
this being the first game, as I mentioned, I had played on the DS, I really did not comprehend that I was not using the D-pad at all in this game. Um, and You mean you, know, you weren't cognizant of it, is that right. what you're saying? Right, okay. because I thought, well, this is just natural. This is the way this system's set up. It's got the stylus. I'm just supposed to use this all the time, right? So, yeah. you know, for, for me playing it, you know, I'm, I'm having a different experience than you guys who've played with the DS before. Um, and so one of the things that was aggravating to me with the stylus and, and the movement, the moving around was pretty fluid. I, I like that. Um, but as I was trying to talk to NPCs, if they were like really close together or party members, if we were kind of broken off and all close together, I would just keep tapping on the wrong people all the time and just, just get so infuriated at having to, you know, watch the same conversations over and over again. And so yeah, that happened to me too, quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I brought this up in the forums too, is that I would have no issue whatsoever with the touch implementation if this was an iPad game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, like I, I find that an iPad is very comfortable in the hand and, you know, it's, it's, that's what it's designed for. Um, Whereas on a DS, even though you have uh, that touch screen, it's not really ergonomically designed for long play sessions using it. Um, so, like, I, I, I find that after a while, I'd have to put the, the DS on, on a table and just sort of have it standing like a laptop and just, you know, use my stylus to, to touch the lower screen that way. Hmm. Interesting. That... that that's just my my uh, my take. <laughs> and so uh, my two cents. So I think we all when we when we all played the game we we all went with the uh, uh, light magic, correct? Not dark magic. Is that right? Yes. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I think that disposed actually went dark magic on this game, and I think the only difference he said that he feels like he pretty much got the same experience. Um, he says, as far as he can tell, it didn't really change, and the whole uh, choice seems to be pretty superficial, though. I, I thought from the, the tutorial at the beginning, it said that darker magic was sort of a, a tougher road. It seemed like instead of healing, what you were doing was you were, you were basically stealing as, um, mm-hmm. you know, you were, you were stealing health as opposed to yeah, just healing your that's what was party. implied earlier on, but, um, yeah, Dispose said that, uh, it didn't seem any more difficult Um, when he compared his experience to ours. That's right, that's right. So it would be interesting to hear what he has to say about that. I I think that he probably, I think he beat the game. I think he ended up finishing the game very recently, like within the last week. So I'll I'll be curious, and I I know he's listening to this, and I'll be curious for him to um, maybe talk a little on the forums about um, you know, sort of the differences in light and dark magic. And that that's one of the things that I wish we would have probably spoken about, maybe planned out before we started playing the game where one of us could, you know, maybe go the other route and, and see where we ended up on that. But just wanted to kind of bring that up. I don't really have a lot to say about it, but, you know, just wanted our listeners to, you know, realize that there, you know, there is that option. And, um, you know, um, just kind of curious of, um, where, where he stands with it and how he felt, you know, at the end, um, if it was, you know, tougher for him to get through. Um, but the other thing we could move on to and talk about a little bit are the weapons and items. Um, one, I just kind of want to know what you guys thought about the variety of weapons and items in the game. And, um, you know, um, was it clear, um, sort of as far as the weapons and items were concerned that you could 
that you could put on was it was it really clear what was better than you know overall when you compared the items you know i found that i found the items uh and equipment to be standard rpg fare and i did find that in the uh in the menu system that it gave you the the typical like this is an upgrade like the number was green or something instead mm-hmm. of you know what I mean like it right, would show yeah. you that you were upgrading. Right. The only thing I the, the major major complaint I have about the item system is that the items all have cute names like green frog and yellow sap and all this stuff and I don't know what they are. And if you're in the menu system outside of a battle, it will give you a description of what it is and what it does. Mm. If you're in battle and you pull up your item menu, you you basically have to remember what it does. Oh, okay. You could actually get um, a description of every, of every item in battle if you touch the little uh, question mark in the corner. Huh. Well, that that would that would pull up um, <laughs> a little like dictionary of all the uh, items you have. See, now I wish I'd have complained about it on the forum thread and you probably could have jumped in and helped me with that. But okay, I I actually didn't know that. So then my complaint is uh, invalid for that. So yeah, the item system was just fine, Rich. Uh, No complaints. Uh, I'll say this. Other than healing items, I didn't use items. You know, like, uh, you know, any sort of like battle uh, combat oh, like con- items. confuse the enemy or no. freeze the enemy or anything like that you didn't do yeah me neither i i, I just I didn't, didn't do any of that either and uh for me it almost seemed like a waste you know to have these but things. i don't i don't do that do you find that a lot of rpgs have that kind of stuff and you don't use them because like i'm playing persona 4 right now and they got the same kind of stuff in there and i never use that like yeah. If anything, I might have a spell that might, you know, uh, cast confusion or, you know, curse or something. But I almost never use those kind of items in any game. So it didn't really surprise me yeah. that I, you know, yeah, I that's a that good point here. That's a great point. Those, those things are just sort of like uh, some sometimes items just seem like filler, like, you know, just yeah. fun toys to play with. And I think you even got a few items on Parasite Eve that were the same way. You know? Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing, <laughs> yeah. actually. Yeah, and so, yeah, it is kind of just kind of toys, you know, just kind of filler, just something, you know, hey, if you want to try this out and confuse some enemies, you know, during this battle, you know, hey, use it. But, you know, I find myself a lot of times, you know, kind of hoarding those sort of items just because, you know, well, am I going to need this later in the game? I don't know. Should I use it now? Is this something I'm, yeah. you know, I'm really going to need? So, you know, I, I typically never use those items, you know, except for, of course, the healing items I use quite often, especially after battle, you know, just to mm-hmm. heal my party up more. Um, right. As far as the gears concerned, it and maybe this is me like further into the game, but a lot of times further into the game, you know, you could compare items and see if it was an upgrade or not. But where you might upgrade in one area, such as intelligence. You might go down in another area, such as defense, when you would get a new item. So you would always have to make that choice. And for me, I I, I guess I really couldn't figure it out because, you know, like I said, like, I think all the characters had different attributes, and I think that certain things were better for certain characters. You know, like Lassie, for instance, probably being on the back row probably didn't need a lot of defense. You know, but the intelligence going up would probably help with the magic, probably help with bigger heals and things of that nature. So I feel like, 
you really had to know a little bit more about the characters and the characters' roles. And it seemed like there were a lot of different, um, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say, attributes that there's a whole assortment of attributes that you would have to know, okay, well, what is this going to do to my character? And, you know, I just, I couldn't figure that out. I, I felt like a lot of the times with the, the upgrades or with the weapons, I, I felt like I was just guessing. It was like, well, I, well, this one's like making this go up two points or making this go up four points and making this only go down two points. So maybe this is an upgrade. I don't know. You know? So, I, yeah, I kind so of things, dealing with the same so thing. So things actually went uh, down to at the same time as going up for certain upgrades. Right, right. and Yeah, like not every weapon just gave you plus three on everything. You had to kind of, uh, like Rich was saying, uh, to make a choice. Are you willing to sacrifice, uh, you know, some uh, luck for a little bit extra strength or whatever the right. attributes were. So. And, and I don't mind yeah. that. I mean, I've seen that in other games. Um, I, I don't mind yeah. that, but I feel like with other games, I, I have more of a more of a knowledge base of my characters and can really understand what they what makes them better in battle, you know, um, right. and, and better for me. And so, you know, usually when you get new items and stuff, your new items are always going to be better than your old items. You know, that that's sort of an RPG trope a lot of times, and you, there's no second-guessing. But I felt, I really felt this game I was doing a lot of second-guessing, and I felt like, you know, there was there could have been a little more clarity with, with, those, with those things. All right, so it, just to wrap up the conversation, Rich, I wanted to thank you because when I kind of put the game, I had to put the game down, and it really was an easy transition for you to kind of take over the playthrough for me that I was hosting. Uh, so I just want to thank you for that. We didn't have to make a big deal out of it. We didn't even say anything. You were able to just, because you were ahead in the game and because you were, you, you were there, you were able to just kind of commandeer the playthrough. And you did a really good job. And I just wanted to say I appreciate that. So Thanks. being that... And being that you are the only one of, of us that finished the game, I wonder if you could just comment uh, to kind of wrap things up on the ma more major themes in the game. Well, one of the things and another kind of one of the issues that I had with this game was it was it was very jumpy. You know, there was a there was sort of the, the main plot story of you go save the teacher and it becomes about something a lot more than that. You know, there there becomes this world crisis between humans and robots and how the robots feed off of the gummies and how these are kind of becoming in short supply, but that there's a way that the more human characters are changing into gummies and then the robots are going to end up attacking the humans. Uh, there's the whole idea of the... Uh, space police plot where the space police are um you know some of them have gone bad and you're fighting against authority and against the space police but some of them are still good and some of them are helping you out and you know you kind of end up turning the tides and getting the space police back on your side so there's a lot going on uh, as far as theme wise and i really just thought with this game that it it really it didn't work for me. It was it, there was too much going on. So much was unbelievable. So many 
you know, kind of odd twists and turns. It just wasn't, if that makes sense, it wasn't very cohesive. I, I kind of just wanted, I mean, I would have been fine with, okay, I, I'm saving the princess, you know, the quote <laughs> princess, the, the teacher, and I'm, I'm good with that, you know, that's, right, that's right. a good enough plot for me. I mean, um, you know, or, you know, I'm saving the world. But it it just it just got really garbled along the way, and there were just so many strange things that were going on. It was it was very odd and and confusing. And, and by the end of it, I'm fighting this giant worm um, inside of this dark planet. That for some somehow there's some transport between a light planet and a dark planet, and I'm fighting a worm underground that's you know <laughs> eating gummies and inside of a cave that turns people into gummies. And it was it was just bizarre. I felt like I was watching video drone or something like that. You know, I'm sure some of you've seen that film. So <laughs> it was it was it was just bizarre. And you know, so kind of my would you my say? Thoughts. I'm sorry to interrupt. But would no, would no, you no. say like even after having finished the game that there were just too many loose ends, or did did things start to come together like as the credits rolled or whatever? I think that you do get a conclusion i think that you realize yes you've saved the world yes you've averted the uh robot zombie plague right <laughs> it's gonna take right. over and they're gonna start attacking humans um but you're saying as it was happening you didn't really know what was going on too clearly is that what you're kind of saying yeah and and it was all kind of like packaged up in a little bow at the end and it wasn't I guess what I'm saying, it just, it was so confusing that, like, the way it got packaged at the end was like, okay, well, it's all over now, you know, just kind of quickly all over and just so many confusing things going on. There was a, there was one specific plot hole that I just wanted to mention. There was this, um, and and I think you guys probably, you know, as you were playing through it, did you guys come across the the Book of the Darned? Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this was a very like big plot element. This this whole book of the darned and how the teacher, your teacher, had read this book and how this book is sort of this um, mind altering, life changing thing. And how her student, I think it was Kale, was his name, that the enemy in the game had had mm-hmm. read this book as well, and it had turned him evil. Well, there's a point in the game, and I, I don't know that you guys got to it. There's a point where Sorbet goes in late at night and starts reading from this book, and there's this oh, whole okay. like sort of cutscene. There's there's this whole cutscene where she's reading through this book, and you and you're kind of you're kind of like, oh, you know, something's gonna happen. She's gonna turn on you. Something's gonna happen, um, and, and you're and you're waiting for that to happen, right? And nothing. There's nothing. Nothing's explained. Wow. It's just a huge loose plot hole in this game and i have no idea why they chose to do that i mean she starts having some i've seen some explanation of this from other people like where she starts having some doubts and and that sort of thing but it you know i felt that this would have been a great place to insert a great plot uh maybe a uh kind of a twist in the game a twist in the plot where you were against her as well, or my mind had me thinking that the teacher was behind all of this, you know, because she had left, she didn't come back, she's the one that taught this pupil, they had read from the same book, you know, the book of the darned, and and now they were trying to take over the world, but you just kind of find her, 
and you know she's yeah, turned a into a dummy. Idea. I, I like yeah. what you're thinking there, and it just seems like you don't get closure on anything. No, you you really it's don't. So much I mean, uh, is is left up in the air. I, I think with this game, I think it could have been, as far as theme wise and ending, I thought it could have been really good, but I think that they really just. I don't want to. Say, I guess I want to say they. I feel like it was there. You know, all of that was there, and just, I and just a missed surely, opportunity. It was, and, and surely I couldn't have been the only one playing this game that was thinking that way. I mean, I'm positive I couldn't have been, and it feels like that they just did not have the guts to pull the trigger on it, or or just you know just ended it too quickly because I, I thought that there was a lot lacking, you know, by the end of this game, and that was one of probably the most disappointing things for me. Because this game was 30 hours long. I put in about 30 hours in this game. And I think Dispose finished it in somewhere between 26, 27 hours, I think he said. Um, and, and I think that there was, in finishing this game, there was a, there was a lot of emptiness. There was an empty feeling it finished. I was, I was really happy that I finished it. But um, I, I really, looking back, I'm kind of like, wow, I really, that was a blur. I really don't know <laughs> what was going on with the plots. You know, I... I you know, yeah, I, I saved the teacher, but, um, you know, I, I don't really understand what this game was about and what happened. And I felt... What the purpose of it was. Exactly. And, and I felt that there was a lot of missed opportunity in this game uh, for the designers, for the story writers. So you were happy to finish it, but you weren't satisfied? Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's so a good having, way to uh, So having said that, Rich... Um, you mentioned something off the air and it was actually mentioned on the thread about uh, disposed uh, comments about whether or not he would recommend the game. And I know you'll get to that, but would you recommend the game to uh, a DS owner or an RPG fan? Well, I, I think you make a good point there. Would I recommend it? Um, I would have to know the, the gamer, first of all. I, I would have to know whether this is something that they could handle as far as the cutesiness of it. Um, I, right. I did not feel like the game was very difficult. I, I didn't feel like the theme and the plot was very strong in it. So if someone's looking to play, some, someone's a very casual gamer, just wants kind of a, a fun, neat experience, wants something that's very hands-on and interactive, you know, with the stylus that we were talking about, I, I think I could recommend this game to them. Um, it's not one that I would say put this game at the front of your list. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I agree. Totally. I, I would say pick it up because it's it's a, it's a cheap game. Put it in your collection. When you get around to it, play it. It's fun. It's worth a play. But I, I, I wouldn't overly recommend this game like you know certain other RPGs that I've played. So that that's kind of where I stand out on it. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and read the comment by Disposed Hero. He said that... Uh, uh, these are his actual words. I, I wouldn't recommend Magical Star Sign to anybody who's looking for a deep RPG experience. But for anyone looking for a more lighthearted and straightforward game, it's definitely worth checking out. This game was sitting on my shelf for months with me pretty much unaware of its existence. So this is yet another worthwhile game I probably would have missed out on if not for these playthroughs. And I think that's a that's a super fair assessment of this game. Um and, and, and kind of goes back to what I'm saying. I mean, I'm not disappointed that I played it. I enjoyed playing it. Uh, I mean, the first game I had played on the DS, I'm, I'm happy, you know, with the choice. Uh, and really glad that, that you had chose to um, for us to play it for this month. Um, but 
as far as recommending it, it's probably something that I, I wouldn't, you know, go out to certain people. There's, there's, there's a girl that works at the game store that, uh, that I, that I go to all the time. And I was telling her about playing it and she, she really likes those type of cutesy type titles. She likes RPGs. So it, it would definitely, she fits in that box where as right. being someone I would recommend, I was like, okay, well, if this comes in, you need to pick it up. You know, and I told her about it. I was like, I think you'd really like this. And I, and I think she would. Uh, but I think for, you know, a lot of other people, a lot of more serious RPG um, players who, you know, who are really into like, um, you know, melee attacks and, you know, awesome weapons and things like that. I think this is more of a, you know, even by its title, a more magical game. You're using a lot of magic. You know, and it's very magic based in, in the fighting and combat. So I think you have to have someone who's more prepared for that. Mm-hmm, good point. Because I, if I knew someone who played, let's say, Dark Souls or Persona or Final Fantasy, this this game wouldn't appeal to them at all. But if they're more into like the lighthearted stuff, like let's say Kingdom Hearts, th- this mm-hmm. would be up their alley. Right. Right. I definitely think so. Um. How about you guys? I mean, from from your experiences, is this something that either of you would recommend as far as playing? You know what? For me, I feel like there. If you're a DS owner, there are a lot better RPGs that you could start with on the DS. There are tons of RPGs on the DS. Mm-hmm. Uh, I admittedly have not played a ton of them, but even out of the few that I've played, uh, Magical Star Sign would not be at the top of the list. The, but the one thing that it does have going for it is how cheap it is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of RPGs on any system tend to hold their value or even go up in price if they right. had short print runs or something. But as we mentioned earlier, this game is really cheap. If And if you don't mind getting a loose copy, you can get it as, as cheaply as a, around $5. So that it does have going for it. And I would kind of echo what Disposed Hero said about if you're looking for a casual experience and a a colorful, uh, you know, kind of an easy game, then go for it. But I think also to echo what he said and what we all said is that the game is a little too long for what it should be. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think he was saying if the game was 15 hours, it would have been perfect. And I totally agree with that because if Mm -hmm. it was 15 hours, Mm -hmm. I would have finished it. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, you visit the planets once, then you have to go back and visit them again. It's a little redundant. The areas are different, but traveling that much and and hopping around as much as you have to do. or drawn out at times. I think we all play a lot of these kind of games that are nothing really special they're not bad it wasn't a bad game by any stretch and it just wasn't anything special it's a it's an okay game like Mm -hmm. if if you find a copy cheap at a flea market or at GameStop, grab it and you might enjoy it but don't go out of your way to get it and don't avoid it that i mean it's a very uh you know i give just a very tepid recommendation of it yeah 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 Yeah. my my thoughts exactly yeah, I'd say probably around a 4 out of 10 is where I'd probably sit on this one. Uh, you know, not horrible, sort of right in the middle of the line, but not something that I would recommend to, you know, everyone or even half the people that I know, you know? Yeah. So, And, and I just want to kind of point out the people that we had playing this month. Um, Sean, of course, Ghost 81 played. Uh, myself, Single Banana. Uh, Floyd, uh, who's Fleech on the forums, also played. 
uh, Disposed Hero, of course, and then Dougley007 joined us too this month. So, you know, big thanks to those guys for joining us. And uh, from, from what I could tell from the forums, they, they actually enjoyed their experience playing the game. Special thanks to those who joined us on this one, because I know we're really going out on a limb with kind of a niche title and a lesser known title. So we appreciate those who joined us on this one. All right. All right. Well, guys, well, thanks a lot for joining me um, and talking about Magical Star Sign for the modern playthrough. Uh, Plugging along with us in the game and hope to see you next month as well. Thank you. guys thanks for listening to episode two of the rf generation community playthrough we'd like to thank everyone who participated this month and a special thanks again to terry bsr 241 for joining us in the activision playthrough wrap up there um and who knows maybe one of you um maybe someone else will be asked to join us in the future we hope so we hope that you will join us on the forums and plug in give us your two cents and uh uh you know maybe that'll get you on the show at some point Uh, For May, we've decided on playing, um, again, another retro, another modern game. Floyd will be hosting Lost in Shadow on the Wii, and I wanted him to go ahead and tell you a little bit about that. Right, Lost in Shadow is a really uh, unique approach at uh, 2D platforming. Uh, Basically, you control uh, main character's shadow, and so everything takes place in the background. So I'm really looking forward to this one. I hope you guys are going to play along. All right, and... For the retro playthrough, Jamie's going to be hosting Donkey Kong Country 1 and 2. Yeah, so uh, these are the classic SNES uh, platformers. Um, Donkey Kong's real debut as a strong Nintendo character and um, something I'm really excited to play because it's been on my back burner for a long time and I've had a friend infinitely recommending it and now I'm finally getting a chance to play but along with the whole community. So it'll be great. All right. Well, thanks again, guys, for joining us, and uh, appreciate you guys joining me on the podcast. A lot of fun, and looking forward to um, talking about those games in the near future. Thanks, guys. Happy gaming.